Welcome to the ElfQuest Show, the internet's only fan-made podcast series dedicated to the long-running, award-winning, epic fantasy series ElfQuest, created by Wendy and Richard Peeney. I'm David Mizajewski, also known as Thornbreak on the ElfQuest forums. Joining me is my friend and fellow ElfQuest uber geek, Ryan Brown. Ryan's our editor and producer, working the magic to put this podcast together. Hey, Ryan, how's it going? Hey, David, good. How are you? I'm doing really well. Excited right. to actually catch up and discuss the issue, the most recent issue, which uh, Final Quest, which happens to be issue number four, mm-hmm. before the next issue comes out. This will be the first time that, you know, since we kicked this off several months ago, that we um, will be fully caught up and we'll be prepared to do our next episode, you know, as soon as the new the new issue comes out. So exactly. pretty excited about that. Yep, we'll be all caught up for sure. Yeah, so... <laughs> yeah. Before we do that, um, mm-hmm. I wanted to just give two quick uh, kind of reminders, updates on other cool ElfQuest stuff. Right. Um, so we, um, many of us have already gotten the um, the complete ElfQuest, the volume one, the compilation book of the entire original quest. Mm-hmm. And we talked about that in the last episode, the, the thing that we're calling the ElfQuest Bible, the Old Testament. Right, the Old Testament. Um, mm-hmm. So that's already out. Next month in October, the the next book from Dark Horse is going to be called ElfQuest Gallery Edition, and it's right. that is going to be just super amazing. Wendy and Richard have posted a few teaser pics of their review copy. The thing is huge. It's like 17 and a half inches by like, I don't even know, like 12 inches or something like that. Yeah. It's the size of the original artwork that mm-hmm. Wendy did for well the whole original quest but this book is only going to be the first five issues so like the traditional elf quest book one is what um is going to be in here and even cooler is even though the art was done in black and white richard mm-hmm. posted um i think on the elf quest forums it might have been on facebook that it's the, the 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 printing process is essentially going to be color so that you can see all the different shades of gray and some of the blue pencil lines that Wendy did below the inking. So oh, this really? is going to yeah, this is basically going to be sort of the raw rough art that went into the making of those first five issues. So it's definitely going to be a different beast than what you're going to see in the complete elf quest or other prior publications of this work in a graphic novel format. Uh, the size alone makes it different, but this is going to be like the real collector's item, the real archival kind of thing. Um, and it's got a price tag to match. I think it's around a hundred bucks, but, okay. um, you know, but, start saving up and yeah. it will make a great holiday gift. Um, if you don't have the funds to get it right out of the gates, but sure. so that one's coming out next month. You'll probably um, have to get some sort of easel too to mount it. And totally. It, yeah. It size. <laughs> Um, did you say that they had posted pictures of the interior pages? No, not the interior pages. Okay, just the cover. Yeah, right. Just the cover. Okay, I, thought as I, far missed, as... I thought I had missed something there. I was thinking, oh, no, I want to see those. But no, all right, no, no. so just as the cover. As far as I have seen, and as everybody knows, I'm like obsessed with ElfQuest, so mm-hmm. I'm like looking at a 24-7. So um, yeah. I haven't seen anything. But if, I, I, you know, if anybody else has seen anybody posting interior pics, let us know. Yes. Um, the other book that's coming out from Dark Horse that I want to give a shout out to and a reminder of is the long-awaited color graphic novel that everyone has been clamoring for. Yeah. The, 
The first color book that Dark Horse is going to put put out is the Final Quest Volume One. It's going to collect the first six issues of the Final Quest. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, following tradition, just like from the very beginning, you know, when there's five or six issues that have been published, Wendy and Richard have always collected them and presented them in a graphic novel. And Dark Horse obviously seems to think this is a good model, and they're going to be putting that out. Um, I think it's in April. Is the is the uh, the, yeah, the April list date? April fifteenth, I think. It right. Is. So, um, so definitely check that out. And yeah, you know, that's really exciting for pre-order on Amazon. I think it might be available for pre-order on Tifa, Things of Another World, or From Another World. Uh, so, yeah, I think I saw it on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So definitely mm-hmm. check those things out. And um, if you go to the official ElfQuest forums at ElfQuest.com, or you visit the ElfQuest fan Facebook page, um, there are links to all of these that I've put up. So. Um, and Wendy and Richard have been posting about these things too. So just two little um, reminders of some of the really cool things that Dark Horse is putting out. Um, yeah, they're really Quest pumping related. out the uh, the products, which is great. Yeah. Oh, and this is also another reminder, everyone, to make sure you keep the pressure on Dark Horse. Let them know yeah. you want ElfQuest stuff because they're not probably listening to this podcast and they're most likely not – uh, patrolling the ElfQuest Facebook pages and so on and the forums and everything. So it's great to let Wendy and Richard know and other fans know what you want, but it's not actually going to make too much of a difference in terms of actually making that happen. Emailing darkhorse at elfquest at darkhorse.com is one of the simplest and easiest ways that you can let them know directly. They also are on Twitter. They're on Facebook. They have a general customer service um, you know, email address that you can let them know. And just, just, Write them. It'll take two yeah. seconds and just I've say, you want them, more ElfQuest stuff. I think we both have done this. We've sent them multiple emails. Don't just send one. Send multiples uh, just yeah. to let them know. And, you know, it doesn't – yeah, it doesn't hurt to, um, you know, to let them know if you think they're doing a good job with ElfQuest because you mm-hmm. catch more flies with honey than with vinegar, right? Absolutely. So, exactly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Dark Horse definitely, um, in addition to putting out books, they definitely put out statues and busts and, and maybe even action figures. So yep. those are things that are currently within their wheelhouse. And I'm sure they have the capacity to do other kinds of products. And, um, you know, who knows? Maybe we will actually see ElfQuest lunchboxes if enough of us ask for it. Mm-hmm. You know, you mentioned that you're not sure if they know about our podcast. I doubt that they do but i was just thinking maybe we should post one of them onto the dark horse facebook page and see if that might that's not yeah that's actually not a bad idea and so why don't we do that with this one especially since we're kind of kicking it off talking about what they're putting out as far as ElfQuest goes i will say this um i can't remember what it was that i tweeted um it might have it might have been something about the complete ElfQuest or the new issue or something but i tweeted something um and i you know i tagged dark horse in it and elf quest and you know it was something like you know dark horse is doing uh oh i think i wrote something like dark horse puts out you know the color graphic novel that we've all been waiting for and they liked the the tweet oh, which right. means that they you know they are uh, they are active and they are seeing this stuff but it wasn't about yeah. the podcast but i think no, no. i think that's a good idea mm-hmm. why uh, not it's worth a shot Right. Um, I'm you, just gonna I'm gonna give myself a little pat on the back too because I'm pretty sure that I was the first one that discovered the um, volume one online that it was available. Was I, I'm pretty sure it was me. You were the first one to post <laughs> about it, and that and you're how I, that post that you put yeah. up is how I found out about it. So awesome. So, yeah, you got a point. Um, you know what? Listen, the other thing that Yay, you me. that you need huge props for mm-hmm. is after we did the last episode. Um, you went out there and got it 
sort of listed in a gazillion and one other podcast, you know, sort of forums, um, Stitcher, and I don't even know what they all are. Yeah. Um, by the and, time I'm done this podcast, I'm going to be a podcast expert. I love it. Yeah. So, so, but, but I mean, t- talk a little bit about the numbers comparative to other, uh, other episodes that we've done. Well, the, this last episode, um, for issue number three, uh, which was we, episode seven. Yeah. Episode seven, we got a thousand listens in two weeks and our, um, our most widely listened episode, which is episode number one for issue number two, which now stands at just over a thousand, took four months to get to a thousand listens. Wow. So yeah, the last episode reached that figure in two weeks. Well, so I'm on SoundCloud. Yeah, I'm on mm-hmm. SoundCloud right now, and it says that um, in the last 24 hours, we've had eight eight plays of the podcast, 86 plays in the last seven days, and over 4,300 plays in total. So that's yep. pretty cool. Um, w- one question, though. Do you mm-hmm. know, Ryan, if the numbers that we see on SoundCloud are sort of an aggregate for um, every all the different platforms, is there, or is this just people listening to it within the SoundCloud Directly platform? Directly from SoundCloud? Um, I don't really know. I think it's directly from SoundCloud. Okay. It might be an aggregate. So that is okay. something I'm going to have to look into and I will let you know next episode. All right, cool. Just, yeah. just curious. Yeah, um, no, I'm curious now too. All right. So with those two things said, uh, why don't we dive into issue number four of sure. the final quest okay. and, um, you know, let's go like we've been going these last couple episodes, just kind of taking a page by page. And, mm-hmm. um, I, I think this time we should start with the cover. Because it's okay. a cover that really, um, you know, when the when the previews came out, I think it really got people like thinking like, you know, uh, so many yeah, different yeah. theories just based on this cover. Yeah. You know, we, we see um, Angriff Jun with the gun. We see Surge, the wave dancer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we see poor old Tyr, sure. the, um, the damsel in distress, as yeah. always, getting swept away in the water. And I think people were like, wait, what's going on? Surge is dead. Um, you know, are the wave dancers, did Tyr fall in the water? Did the wave dancers find him? Like, you know, right. what's going on with that? So, And then I, those I, stones that are surrounding Tyr in the background, too. People were kind of wondering what those are. Like, uh, somebody mentioned they kind of look like howling wolves. Right. I think that was you that mentioned it. Oh, was it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, but, but no, now that you say it, yeah, they kind of do. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of interesting. But yeah, so good cover design on the part of Wendy and, um, well, I guess Wendy, who mm-hmm. does the, the art, um, although Richard probably had his finger on the pie, so to speak, on, uh, on well, pretty much everything to do with ElfQuest. So that's we don't want to... First cover, too, um, so far in the final quest without Ember on it. That's true. That's true. Mm-hmm. You know, speaking of covers, um, it, the one of the things that's most striking to me about the final quest so far, mm-hmm. and I have all of the issues sitting out in front of me, I'm spreading them out, is that, you know, we, we kick it off with the final quest special, which is all sort of, you know, glory and light and, and you know, the palace. And um, and that's, you know, sort of kind of what we are used to with ElfQuest. If you then put out issues one, two, three, and four, mm-hmm. They are dark. Yeah. The colors are dark. The, you know, there's, there's battle, there's blood, there's violence, there's, you know, bondage. Ember's tied to a chair. Exactly. Um, and so yeah. it's kind of interesting because I don't know that we've ever had this kind of uh, level of darkness, at least not in the colors on a cover, on a series of cover right. for Elfquest. Yeah. They all seem to have a, um, a black uh, background yeah, the or, of- or a very dark background. 
Well, no, like the Troll War covers, um, you know, starting with Lita crying. And then um, if you remember the original Warp graphics versions of the original Quest, mm-hmm. um, issue 16 had uh, Lita crying on the cover because we thought Cutter might be dead. And but then, even at that, it wasn't a black background, right? No, it wasn't a black in, background. Just in the, was, as far as like the color schemes are for these issues, they're all very dark. Yeah. Well, and that that actually brings up another point that uh, we've been chatting about a little bit this week on the ElfQuest forums and a couple different threads is is this idea that, um, or not the idea, just that you know we we've been reading this over the course of what the last year, um, and it's hard sometimes to wrap your mind around the fact that in terms of story time, mm-hmm. it's been, literally been like a day. It hasn't right. been very long at all. And, um, and so, or, or I should say it's literally been a night. That's why I think it's so dark because it's only been like a night and a morning and maybe going into the next night. So, you know, maybe 24 hours has passed. And so that explains a little bit why the entirety of these issues are, are happening at night. But, right. um, and that's one other thing too, I want to say is that, mm-hmm. um, and then I'll shut up and let you talk <laughs> is, um, <clears throat> excuse me, is that, um, I think when the final quest volume one graphic novel comes out mm-hmm. and we get to see it in one big chunk and mm-hmm. kind of read through it that way, mm-hmm. it'll be, or, you know, just rereading your issues when all six of them are actually out. Um, you know, that I think it'll, it'll, the pace of the story it will be a lot more apparent than reading it in these little, you know, twenty-page snippets that we get every other month. Definitely. So yeah. So if if you were on the fence about whether or not to buy the graphic novel because you've already got the issues, I would say think about it from that point of view and having it all in one spot in your hands and being able to read it in one, you know, in one fell swoop so that you you can kind of get that experience. So. Right. Yeah. It, thematically, too, as far as getting back to the covers again, um, as far as them being dark, uh, it works for the actual storyline, right? Because it is a dark storyline. Yeah, so far. I agree. I agree. Yeah, it uh, is. It is pretty dark. <laughs> right. I mean, we've got um, all out war, basically, between, well, maybe not war, but battles and uh, between the elves and the Junsmen. And um, I mean, children are being burned alive in villages. Elves are being killed. Yeah, yeah. All of Ember, that. Ember is being held hostage and potentially mm-hmm. going to be tortured. I mean, it's pretty dark stuff. Probably yeah. the darkest we've ever seen. In yeah, Elf I mean, I, I, I would say that, I don't know, I think that the Troll War, the original Troll War, still is, for me anyway, kind of at the top of like the ElfQuest dark spectrum. Mm-hmm. That and the uh, the Wolf Rider tale of uh, Bearclaw and Mad Coil. Oh, yeah. Um, those were you know, pretty dark stories. I think mm-hmm. that this is up there. Um, but I, I, I would say it comes in second or third to those two. Okay. My opinion. Yeah. Yeah. But no doubt. That. It's definitely sure. dark. Yeah. All right. Sure. So, so first page, um, mm-hmm. is decidedly not dark. No complete yeah. opposite. Yeah. We're in the palace, uh, Winkin and Moonshade. I love this page. I think it's great. Yeah, I do too. Beautiful. It's a full full page uh, panel. Is that a what's that called? A splash page? A splash or? page. That's I a think. splash yeah. page. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we've got Winkin holding Moonshade. They're floating, um, and they're discussing uh, last issue. Winkin uh, flew into the palace looking for Moonshade, right? And we were left wondering why. And so right. now we kind of start to get the answer as well, why he was um, seeking out Moonshade. Right, and, there were, and, and the 
Yeah, and the answer is that, you know, even though he says that, you know, even though I grew up in the Sun Village with the villagers, they're they're changing so much that I barely know them. And Moonshade says something that's just like so awesome and cool and interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, she basically says, you know, well, it's it's living in the palace. It's, it's you know, it, it can't help but change you, which is interesting from her point of view as a character because we know that there's this rift between her and Strongbow and you have to wonder how much she herself is changing. We talked a lot about about that in the the last episode. Well, it's pretty evident so far, though, how much she's changing or how much she's changed already. I mean, she's considering giving up her wolf blood. That's pretty significant for for Fryder. So even for her in the short time that she's been in the palace, she's significantly changed. So we can just imagine how much the Sun Villagers have given that they've been living in the palace for the last 20 odd years or right more. yeah so and we we still don't know exactly how long moonshade has been you know hanging out in the palace i mean she could have been i i, I don't know actually i take that back it does seem like it's been a fairly recent thing yeah uh, but recent is relative i mean recent might be the last couple of years right for an elf right exactly mm-hmm. um but the other really awesome cool thing that Moonshade says in this scene is that she uses Dart and his recognized um, his recognized mate from the the long sleep, um, who, whose name is Saren. She yep. is, if you recall, if you read through the the New Blood storylines, she the New Blood Forever Green storylines. Um, Saren was the daughter of Wing and, and Batia. Batia. That's betcha. how I say. <laughs> betcha. Here we, here we go again, Ryan. The Wolf Love. <laughs> we'll have to have Richard correct us, but I You're probably right. I pronounce it Batia. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like Betia. <laughs> got a little bit of that Fargo kind of inflection in it. You know? it. It does. And I can't even I'm not even gonna attempt to say it because I'll just laugh. <laughs> um, but um so yeah, Saren um Okay, actually Speaking it, of names, actually, I really don't like that name Saren because all I can think of is that poisonous gas. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, um, so apart yeah. from that, I think it's a great character, but uh, yeah. I actually, I don't like it, but for a different reason. Why? I think it's a very kind of generic fantasy name. Oh, yeah? And it's one of the things that, um, one of the criticisms that I had of, of Barry Blair and his um, story writing um, mm-hmm. was that he tended to, you know, his names, there, there, there's something... You know, Wendy and Richard have a knack for coming up with character names and words that Barry Blair, I just don't think had. And so, you know, even if you if you if you looked at any of his solo stuff that he did, like the Elf Lord series and things like that, um, you know, his characters all kind of had just these sort of generic like Hawk and um, even some of the names of the Elf Quest characters that he came up with, like. Saren. And actually, I don't know if I, before yeah. I go any further, I don't know if he named her, but I she first appears in a story that he, um, he, that he illustrated. He illustrated. I don't know if he scripted it though. Yeah. Now that you, now that we're saying that maybe he mm-hmm. didn't, cause that was the, I want to say it was issue 13 of the new blood series. Maybe it was 12. I think the um, first time we saw Saren was when she cut open Dart's cocoon. Right. Because and they that had was, recognized. Exactly. And that was mm-hmm. in the issue of new blood that took, um, the you know it, it kind of explained what happened in the Sun Village over the course of the ten thousand year Wolf Rider sleep after the volcano erupted erupted and after the Gobacks came and um, you know killed everybody and whatever and so right. um, so at any rate Batia though is first introduced in Hidden Years mm-hmm. number two I always thought she was kind of a Lita lookalike 
she is a little bit of a lethal mm-hmm. like, I guess. But I mean, hair color and, and yeah, even nice clothing uh, color. Her. Yeah, there. Yeah, well, she, well, not, interesting. Similar. She wears like a teal um, sort of uh, moth fabric gown, mm-hmm. which Lita never did until she she never started wearing that color until years later when she was living with the wolf. Oh Riders. no! You know what I was thinking of in book seven? Oh, that's and right. I take it back. She I take it serving, back. Right. Yeah, she was serving dreamberry wine to the trolls. Totally. Yes, that is when she was first introduced, and yeah. absolutely, she was. Uh, she definitely was. In red and blue and yes. gold. Yes. Um, and you know that same auburn hair color. Is, yeah. As well. I think that that is a function of um, maybe other people that were working on those Father Tree Press editions, coloring the art and not really knowing what color to color. I the actually thought it was kind of cool though, because I mean the Sun Villagers are closely related, so there would be similarities that would occur. Right. That yeah, one of that, them would have the same hair coloring and maybe she um, kind of uh, admired Lita. So she fashioned her clothes after what Lita wore. Well, there you go. Maybe that maybe that's it. Maybe that, that's a good that explanation for, for it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, she was introduced in in Kings of the Broken Wheel. Mm-hmm. She's the one who served the trolls, the the wine or the dreamberry juice or whatever. And then you yep. see her again at Hidden Years number two, pregnant because she recognized Wing and they have a baby on the way. And so that baby ended, we learn, ended up being Saren. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so she's half Wolf Rider. And that's what Moonshade says to Winkin in this issue that, um, you know, she says, my son Dart uh, says the same, even of the half Wolf Rider, Saren, that they recognized long ago. Now they're almost strangers. So, so I, I thought this was really cool, though, just the fact that Wendy put that character's name in there um, mm-hmm. because Saren is really a an obscure, relatively obscure character. Yes, very um, much so, yeah. Like tertiary character. So, I, I mean, we don't really know too much about her at all, but just the fact that she even mentions her in there, it was kind of a, a cool little aside, right? Oh, Saren, I, yeah, that's really neat. Right, I totally agree, and that's why I wanted to, to bring it up and to kind of explain who she was, mm-hmm. because there's probably a lot of people out there that have no flipping clue who she is. For sure. But, um, yeah, she really didn't get any story time whatsoever other than that one issue where we see her cutting open Dark's cocoon and you know because they recognized through right. the Preserver Wrap stuff. So that's actually kind of a unique recognition right there. Exactly. And all we really know about her is that you know she's half Wolf Rider and that she apparently has lived long enough She's, you know, she's, she has enough immortal blood in her, if you will, that she's lasted, you know, thousands of years at this point. And um, so, and we didn't know that until this issue. Mm-hmm. And then the only other thing we know about her is that she was life mated to an elf named Talma, and they took in Dart into their relationship, and the three of them raised their um, the baby from the recognition, whose name was Boki. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we get then, no mention of Boki, though we don't know if he's alive or not. We don't, but it, I, I'm. I feel pretty confident saying that Boki probably has passed simply because right. he would have had more wolf blood. Yeah, he would have been you know three quarters wolf blooded, mm-hmm. wolf rider blooded, mm-hmm. and um, but unless, you know again, unless it was removed, which... unless it was removed, that's true. Yeah, yeah. So so who knows? But I think that a um, couple things about this. Like number one, you said it um, is that I think it's really cool that. And yet another example of where Wendy and Richard are looking at this sort of huge back catalog of ElfQuest, much of which was told by, 
you know, different authors and different artists. And as we've learned, some of which Wendy and Richard aren't really necessarily keen on mm, keeping as hard canon fact. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yet they're they're weaving in to the storyline some references back to some of these events as if to say, like, yes, we recognize that this happened. We're not really going to go into it. And but, you know, we, we can say enough that Dart and Saren definitely recognized based on what we're seeing in the final quest. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it's it's a cool callback to a, a relatively obscure character. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and speaking uh, of which, <laughs> um, I um, again, I've I mentioned before um, and mentioned on, on the Facebook page and stuff that I'm one of the uh, one of the people that have been tasked with updating the character profiles on ElfQuest.com. And the fantastic so, job you're doing. Thank you. Um, and and so um, thank you. if anybody <laughs> you're welcome. Um, so if anybody is interested in reading a little bit more about Saren or Bokey, um, head on over to elfquest.com and the the shortcut URLs to get to the characters' names, it's elfquest.com slash and then it's just the character's name. So it would be elfquest.com slash Saren, S-E-R-R-I-N, will take you right to her character profile. Um, yeah, those character profiles uh, on the website are great. They're invaluable as a resource for uh, readers. So well, great. you're, doing, no, you're doing a great job. Thank you. Um, and, I'm you know, glad to other... see them updated, too. I mean, we mentioned this before, but it had been years since they had been updated. Um, yeah. So they were long overdue for an update. So it's Definitely, great that yeah. you've taken that on. And, um, you know, I think Richard might be posting kind of an announcement that this has all got on um, and that the 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 character profiles are going to be a lot more living and breathing than maybe in the past, because we're going to be updating them as we go, as new elements of the story come out. And so that's what I was going to say, is that when this issue came out, um, I was able to go in and say, okay, so Saren, very obscure character, but she's getting a reference let me go ahead and put up a profile. And then if you put up a profile for Saren, you kind of have to do one for Boki and you kind of have to do one for Talma. And of course, and this is really important. 700 not, characters later. Right. <laughs> no, there, well, it, yeah, maybe for Saren, but definitely not for, um, for, for Talma or Boki. I mean, the thing is, is that there really isn't a lot that is put into the comics. And so with these oh, characters. Oh, no, I meant, po- I meant characters as in actual characters. Oh. You're going to be busy. <laughs> I thought you meant words. Yeah. Um, oh, I know. We haven't even scratch the surface. I mean, we, we've done all the major characters, um, in, you know, all of the tribes, including the humans. Um, some of them still need some more updating, um, updated photos and updated, uh, stories, but most of the, the elves, the wolf riders and the sun folk and, um, gliders and go backs and wave dancers have all been kind of done at least the key yeah, characters. The main characters. Yeah. Um, and so, um, but what I was going to say about them, mm-hmm. and this is really important, is that the the character profiles are kind of a second a secondary resource. The the thing that you need to look to when people have questions about what's canon is what Wendy and Richard have put into the comics. Right. Everything else, the Blood of Ten Chiefs novels, mm-hmm. the character profiles on ElfQuest.com, mm-hmm. the um, the Gatherums and the Wolf Riders Guide to the World of ElfQuest that came out back in the nineties. I think people really need to view those as, you know, interesting resources. But if Wendy and Richard decide that they're going to take the story in a certain direction and they might kind of uh, evolve a character or scenario in or contradict certain things that had, you know, taken place in in some story elsewhere than the main comic. 
Yeah. That that the response should not be well. It says in the character profile, mm-hmm. you know, because we are writing the character profiles based on what we're seeing in the comics, and in some cases there is a little bit of filling in the blanks, maybe. Um, so, you know, like, for example, I've listed Boki as deceased because I just think it makes sense based on what we know of him. And um, and and so but that could change. And exactly. so if Wendy and Richard decide that maybe no, he's in rap stuff somewhere or he just, you know, he also didn't have enough wolf blood to be mortal and die at a young age. Maybe he will come back and then we'll update the character profiles. Mm-hmm. So um, I know a lot of times people read those and think that the, that it's, you know, that those are etched in Official. stone. And right. And um, Wendy and Richard are spending their time writing the story of ElfQuest. And, um, you know, those of us that are helping them out with the website are, you know, doing the best job that we can with the information that we have. And of course, Richard is, is reviewing all of them and, um, you know, hasn't, hasn't changed anything. So I think you could read them with a high level of confidence that they're pretty accurate. But again, if Wendy and Richard decide that the story or a character is going to go in a, maybe a different direction um, and, and maybe some of the speculation that's in there on our part um, turns out to not be true, that's fine. We'll just update the, the, the profiles. They're kind exactly. of living, breathing things. So. Exactly. It's it, Wendy and Richard's word is final, basically. That's like the official source of information on everything. So Exactly. Yeah. And we had a huge discussion about this. Uh, it's ongoing right now on um, the Facebook page, right, about it, canon. Yes. Um, yeah, we're up to, what, over 200 comments now, I think. It, um, <laughs> yeah, but it was a pretty lively discussion. Um and that's but, why I brought it up. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, I, I love having discussions about stuff like this because we're all talking about ElfQuest, something that we love. Um, right. But yeah, there's always, canon is always iffy, especially when there's different creators working on um, a piece. Um, so yeah, things can get kind of, you get into kind of gray areas as, as far as canon is concerned. Right. Um, but I think it's safe to say as a general rule of thumb that at the end of the day, the only official canon is what Wendy and Richard have put into the comics. Exactly. Or, or what they say directly exactly. themselves. Right. Although even that, I will say, you know, take that with a grain of salt, especially, you know, one-off comments on Facebook or something like that. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, again, Wendy and Richard are not walking around with, uh, again, a, a, a tablet of stone. And every time they utter a word, it's being like etched in there for them to refer back to. Right. So I wouldn't, you know, again, what they put into the comics is what is where you need to go to look at canon stuff. And of course, because they're Wendy and Richard, there's a lot of gray areas, as you were just saying, even in what's in the comic. Mm-hmm. And they're never quick to sort of spell out the specifics of, you know, some scenarios or, um, you know, things that happen. So I mm-hmm. guess we'll, which I'll tell you what is totally fine with me because that gives us fodder as fans to talk and discuss and speculate. speculate and, and that's part of the fun. Of course. Yeah, that is you part know? of the fun. If everything was all spelled out for us, it would kind of take a little bit of the magic away, I think. I think so, too. Yep. Right. All right. right so, so let's get back to the issue. Um, uh, if you flip just, over to page two. Oh, oh can we ahead. just stay on this panel again? I was just wondering if maybe one of those characters down on the on the ground, um, there's a, a female elf in the bottom right corner. If she was Saren. Uh, you know, it could be. I mean, she kind of has. I'm her hair's a bit longer, I think, right? I can't remember what. Well, I mean, again, last time we saw her was like thousands of years exactly, ago. Exactly. So. so she could be. Completely. And she was drawn by Barry Blair, so right. I mean, who knows what she actually looks like? So right. yeah. Um, um, yeah. But speaking of hair, uh, I just wanted to mention too that Winkin's hair has 
changed consistently over this series um, on a number of occasions. I'm pretty sure when he was first born, did he have blonde hair at some point? No, he didn't have no? blonde hair. Okay. He's always had um, sort of a light brown hair. It was brown, right? And then mm-hmm. by New Blood, it was kind of a chocolate brown color, a darker brown. Now right. it's decidedly orange. Yeah, you know, I noticed that too, and I think that that is just um, that's fine. You know, I'm, I like Sonny's I'm not take on it. That. Yeah, it's just it's an interesting. Yeah, I think choice. I you know I, I I wonder about things like you know the calibration on Sonny's monitor and like what colors are looking like to him versus what they look like on Wendy's computer. I mean, it's it's definitely got an orange note to it, but I would still put it in the in sort of like you know the 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 medium brown family. His hair definitely has never been um, as dark as, say, Moonshades. No. But in Pat, you're right. The, it, it, it had, it, it's had more of a, uh, yeah, maybe chocolatey tone to it. And so, um, I don't know. I, yeah. I just think that's probably Sonny's uh, artistic license with how Winkins' hair appears. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's just an interesting note. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of other elves whose hair color has changed. Well, there's the famous Aurori incident <laughs> in Shards where, um, you know, Aurori has always kind of had this sort of like silvery, mousy, right? yeah, mousy, brown, grayish colored hair. And mm-hmm. then um, in the Shard series, when she, um, you know, gets a, a new, you know, kind of a makeover, she lets her yeah. hair out of the bun and um, and gets a new outfit. And suddenly her hair is... You know, if not flat out blonde, it's definitely got sort of golden highlights to it. And, you know what, though? Um, that made sense to me because I always attributed that to the fact that she was finally out of Blue Mountain where she was stagnating. Um, her entire culture and people were. Uh, so now she's out living life again fully with yeah. the Wolf Riders. So it's, it's reinvigorated her both mentally, spiritually, and physically. So her hair, um, like, regenerated and that was her initial hair color would have been blonde. Right. And I think that I like that that explanation. And, you know, you also have to factor in, um, you know, things like these are creatures that have the ability to, you know, subtly and not so subtly change their very shape. And so, exactly. you know, maybe there's a little bit of uh, of latent sort of, uh, you know, a manifestation of Aurori's mindset and, um, and state of being that is sh- being reflected back through her physical appearance, you know, uh, completely unconsciously. Um, and then, of course, as we talked about several episodes ago, there's always the possibility that, you know, the elves have ways of, you know, dyeing their hair. We talked about elf makeup, um, you know, like eyeshadow and stuff like that. So who knows? I mean, honestly, I'm, and I'm being dead serious here. Mm-hmm. You know, think of like henna tattoos. There's all sorts of natural plant-based materials. You know, maybe Rory figured one figured out a way to sort of, you know, wash, you know, some. Uh, See, you know, when I'm thinking of that, my initial thought is um, to color your hair yellow, you would be using a natural source for yellow, which would potentially be <laughs> urine. And I don't like that idea. Right, see, I was thinking of ground up flower petals or, you know, okay. maybe um, sort of like better. a yellow ochre mineral or something. But we can sure. see where your mind goes, Ryan. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, the tanners use it, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. that's true. Well, just, the, so... the idea of a Rory washing her hair in the tanner's pit just doesn't really. Yeah. Something tells me that that wouldn't happen. But yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So back we'll to the there. issue. We um, so mm-hmm. Moonshade takes. You know, Winkin explains why he's come to her and asked the question of, you know, do all 
um, elf spirits come to the palace. So he basically, or Moonshade basically takes him right to, to Timane. Right to- and interestingly, you know, she tells him, like, don't be afraid. Who better than to ask? And it's, you know, someone, Winkin doesn't strike me as the kind of elf who would be intimidated very no. easily. Mm-hmm. And yet even Winkin is sort of cowed in, in the presence. Awe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is kind of neat. And um, of course, there's good old Timane wearing her birthday suit, well, <laughs> sitting in the chair of the Skull of Colors, looking magical and goddess-like and, and amazing. And then you've got, you've got Moonshade in her um, preserver silk, and you can see uh, basically everything, right? Right. Um, <laughs> bum. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of nakedness going on in the palace. Yeah, uh, and, you know, I, I mean, I think that that... Uh, Wendy's clearly enjoying this new sort of style of drawing the kind of the see-through clothing. For sure. And let's face it, the elves, whether they're male or female, have pretty hot bodies. So why yeah. not, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, look at Suntop or oh, Sunstream. Sunstream. Yeah. Um, he's wearing a, a see-through top as well. Yeah. Yeah. So um, so yeah, and all totally... of this could lead to an orgy. It, there we have it. Check the box. Check. Every. Every, Every episode, episode, we got to say it. Um, <laughs> um, although that one, I have to say, we kind of served up to you pretty yeah. easily. So thank you. Um, so anyway, yeah. So this page, this page, I love. I mm-hmm. love the art. I mean, again, we've talked a little bit about certain panels that just have that really tight, gorgeous um, kind of mass uh, characters with mass to them feel of the original quest. Mm-hmm. We're seeing it right here on this page. Definitely. This reminds me actually a bit more of um, Kings of the Broken Wheel. Okay. The art on this page. And in what way? Um, I think the line quality more than anything. Um, Kings of the Broken Wheel had a lot of really thin ink lines. Yeah, so that's where I'm seeing that in places like... Um, Winkin's hair, for instance, uh-huh. Uh-huh. or um, or Moonshade's hair, uh, and uh, the the thin lines on um, on Timane. You know what's uh, interesting now that we're talking about that is um, is how you know here here again is a great example of how Wendy is using um, you know sort of the the digital, and I guess with Sunny too because a lot of this is color. Like you know, back in the old days, Wendy would have probably had to spend a week on that top half of the page, kind of painstakingly putting in shadows with a pen and ink, um, like all behind the chair, and the swirls of color would have been indicated with crosshatching and things like that. Exactly. And, and you know what Wendy probably did on this page is you know she blocked the characters in. And got the chair and the scroll and the door, but mm-hmm. the rest of it is all done with color. It's all color, absolutely. And Even the reflections too on the floor of their uh-huh. bodies are just—that's um, a, a Photoshop, uh, right? The effect. Yeah, but right? it, it, yeah. it's genius. It works. Oh yeah, perfectly. it works perfectly. I mean, and it's saving the artist time. And it—I mean, why draw that when you can just easily do it? I, because all she's doing is reflecting the actual pose of the character that's drawn. So, which I don't want to give the impression that that doesn't take skill no, or or time, but no. you know, it's like using the tools to the best advantage that you can. That's right. And I think this page is, you know, it's just one example of that. But yeah, um, yeah so uh, let's see what else. Oh, oh, and we've yeah, got Audrey uh, hiding behind the wall, kind of. As yeah, well, she's kind of she's kind of in. like yeah, she's kind of like lingering and and I don't did we talk about her um, um when last, last yeah well because you know it's interesting I I've noticed that too like she's kind of 
sort of hanging in the back in the wings. You know, she follows Winkin in and he kind of is like ignoring her. A little bit. Look at her on the first page when she's down on the ground looking up at them, at the two right. of them, right? Um, yeah. And now she's kind of, she seems like she's two steps behind. Yeah, and if you look at her eyebrows, you know, they're, they are kind of, you know, pulled up and sort of with like she a look. She looks troubled. Of, yeah, troubled, yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I wonder what's going on with that. I wonder if there's something there that is going to come out um, in their, you know, kind of their relationship. We already saw yeah. Winkin kind of pull back from her a little bit because he thought she was dead. And, right. And, and then, you know, after half a second, he was like, oh, my God, you're alive. And he hugged mm. her. But um, so I wonder, I wonder if Wendy and Richard are sort of foreshadowing something going on there between those two. It's possible. But in any case, with her here, the the pose that she's in, um, it's another uh, character who seems to be um, slightly intimidated or in awe by Tamine's presence. Um, so there's there's definitely right. definitely that sort of. Um, feeling amongst some of the elves towards Tamane, right? Right. She's this high one and and they're sort of uh, in awe of her. Right. Although of all the elves, Mm -hmm. my guess would be that Audrey would be the least likely to feel that way since she spent most of her life, her very long life. Right. You know, a Sava's handmaiden, kind of. That's right. You know, close to the the, the closest thing to a high one, other than Timane, that is out there. True enough. So, um, so, but I, I wonder that, though, on some um, innate level, uh, Timane is inherently different from all the other elves. Oh, um, she definitely due to is. her nature, right? So, she though they may look similar in stature, for instance, um, their actual being is significantly different from each no, other. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Um, I mean, Timane is eons older than Sava and has traveled to different worlds and, and you know, whose magical abilities is, are, are, are way uh, more powerful probably is not quite the right word than Sava's, but, you know, you get the point. So, yeah, no, right. I, I mean, even if, I mean, if Audrey was intimidated by her, I think that there, there, you could certainly make that argument for why that would be. Sure. Um, so, but, um, but yeah, so, so Timane finally explains in the story, mm-hmm. what is the deal with elf spirits? This is Ever, a huge thing that, just, yeah, that happens in this. Totally. Issue. Ever since the, well, Timane explained in the original quest that the, the, the spirits of the, you know, the immortal elves are bound to the time and place in which the palace exists. And as we've talked about on the show before, you know, we fans assumed that that meant like literally in a physical sense that the spirits of immortal elves have to exist within the four walls of the palace. And then but then we see Widow Will who can float around wherever and doesn't get sucked into the palace like it's a vacuum cleaner. Um, and so mm-hmm. um, and, the, and so, um, the spirits of the gliders as well. Exactly. After I mean, the, although the mountain fell. Right. They were trying to oh. just floating around, right? And it was Rayek who drew them into himself so that he could take them to the palace. Right. And so so now we've learned that uh, kind of a combination of Timane and Moonshade explaining this to Winkin that the pa- they, they're sort of bound to the, in a physical sense, um, sort of the, the ball that is the aura of the palace and that this aura actually extends like out into the solar system. Okay, and yeah. So, so, so the palace has an aura around it that encompasses the entire world of two moons and then extends outwards beyond the world of two moons as far as the moons themselves and possibly even further, 
right? right. So well, every, Moonshoes is way past. Way past, right. right. So, okay, so we need to discuss what that means. So yeah. the, the spirits of immortal elves then can travel anywhere within that aura. Right. Right. So they're not bound specifically to the palace, palace itself. To the structure of the palace. Right. Okay. They're bound to its aura, it sounds mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so, so the, yeah, so I, I mean, that explains it. That explains that, you know, that the elves can sort of move about and they don't have to be like physically in those four walls. But the other thing that she says, it's so important here that I haven't really seen anybody talking about mm-hmm. is not only can they sort of exist outside of those four walls, but she says, um, when they die, they unite with the palace to increase its power. Right. So think about that for a minute. Well, that makes sense to me because, again, going back to Rayek and the spirits of the gliders, it was right. the gliders who basically reinvigorated the palace once they um, reached it through Rayek. Right. And Remember, so once you, they got to the palace, it it um, kind of had a rebirth and yeah, they're right. right. What it and so, initially was. And so what I'm thinking here is that, Mm -hmm. you know, I've never really thought about this before, is that, you know, obviously as more elves die, the palace itself becomes more stronger because their energy goes into it. And that, frankly, could explain something, you know, if if indeed there was a more limited scope for where the elf spirits could go in the past, like when they first found it, Mm -hmm. um, because if you remember, Lord Vol sees the aura of the palace as they approach the frozen mountains. Yes. When they're first, you know, when Cutter, when he, Lord Vol kidnapped Cutter and, you know, the wolf riders are following and he says, look, can you see it? There's the aura as they get close to the, um, the palace. Now that doesn't mean it's, it was the edge of the aura. It just means that that's when he could sort of perceive it. But, you know, just, I'm kind of thinking that, you know, over the millennia as they had passed, the more elves that have died, maybe the, the, the palace's aura has gotten even bigger. And um, so the key to the, absolute power is to kill, is kill all, all the elves. elves, right? No, but you can't kill them all because uh, you need you need to keep having more baby elves so that you can keep feeding the power. That's right. Of the palace. But but like just, you know, just or something. Yeah. Just think about that for a while. Mm-hmm. I mean, this these are immortal beings, but they do die. And if they die, they add to the power of this sort of it's more than a home. It's more than a vessel. It's kind of like, I don't even know. It's almost like like a battery. Yeah, yeah, maybe and a battery. Charging it. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're charging. I don't know. It's just kind of a crazy concept to think about. I don't I'm really just, know where I'm going with I'm it. I'm thinking but. about you mentioning Lord Vol when he saw the aura when they were heading towards the frozen mountains. Um, wouldn't he? And I was thinking, wouldn't he have sensed the aura? anyways because it would have encompassed the entire world well this is my point this is what i'm saying yeah and i i get what you're saying but then i'm also thinking maybe even an elf as old as he is as old and powerful as he was could only really sense that the aura when you were in the vicinity of the actual physical structure of the palace Right. Despite th- the fact that it was encompassing a much larger area than that. Yeah, and I think that, that that also makes perfect sense. And the other thing you have to factor in is that as we have seen these characters develop 
over the course of the last 36 years. There's definitely been, I mean, they start out essentially, you know, kind of magically crippled, if you will. There's only a handful of elves yes. that can even do any little bits of magic. Right. And as, you know, and, and so even, even an elf is old and as sort of magically oriented as Lord Ball mm -hmm. probably was very limited in his magical capability then as compared to, you know, like frankly, Moonshade today, you know, to be able to be, see the aura and, you know, kind of commune with spirits and everything, you know, right. and I think it's, you know, this feeds into sort of the, the battery concept of the palace mm -hmm. and being fed by the elf spirits because, you know, it really wasn't until the palace was restored by the glider spirits and their that influx of energy that we started seeing the the real effect on the rest of the elves in Kings of the Broken Wheel and their abilities and their perceptions and their magical um, powers and everything. And That's so right. it's just kind of interesting to think about that, you know, Lord Ball at that point, you know, maybe could only see it when he got that close, whereas you know, maybe today an elf of today that's been living in the palace would have a much higher perception of it f much further away. We'd be able now, to sense it or, or even see the aura. Right. Now, yeah. now, and then the sort of the flip side of that is mm -hmm. that, is that if there are other elves running around out mm -hmm. there, mm -hmm. which um, I think there are. Yeah. And so I don't know. I don't know. We'll, we'll talk about that in a minute, but, okay. um, uh, is that, you know, I, I would argue that they, they probably wouldn't be able to perceive you know, sort of the palace's aura in the same way that some of these elves that have been living in the palace and are much more attuned to it would be. That makes it's, sense. Also, though, on the flip side of that, it is possible that, like you say, if there are more elf spirits in the palace now than there were when it started, that the and if it's a battery and it's being charged, then that power is becoming, um, it's becoming more powerful. So those elves somewhere else in the world would be able to sense it now. Right. And, you know, the more we talk about this, the more I feel like this is clearly like a fanish obsession. And that <laughs> I doubt that we're going to get any definitive answers out of Wendy and Richard on yeah. this. I think they're going to say, you know, the palace, you know, uh, has this aura. The elf spirits go there. It increases the power. Everything else after that, you can think and speculate whatever you want. And that's as far as we're going to explain it. <laughs> this means, though, that if the palace leaves the world of two moons, that all of the spirits have to go with it within the aura of that palace, right? I, I would imagine so. Like, you know, they couldn't the stay on the World of Two Moons. Right, with the exception right. of the, the Wolf Rider right. you know, spirits. Now, um, we, now, Tamin mentions them as well. Yeah, so this is interesting. She says their journey, the journey of mortal elf spirits, is limitless. Okay, so, so what does that mean? Does that mean that it's limitless within the, in the world universe? of universe or in the universe yeah. or, you know, and if that's the case, then what's so special about the immortal elves and their connection to the palace? Like, why wouldn't they be able to travel limitlessly? Right, because they came from a planet. So why would being from another planet, the world of two moons, make you able to travel limitlessly throughout the universe? Right. And I have, I don't have answers to that. <laughs> yeah. Is it something, um, I mean, yeah, that's the thing that was what was confusing me too. I'm taking that to mean limitless within the world, but I mean, that doesn't, limitless sounds like then there's no limits so they can go absolutely anywhere. Right. And you know what, now that I think of that, let's say that an immortal elf like Skywise died and his spirit went to the palace, then a wolf rider spirit like cutters would be able to be with skywise's 
spirit anywhere. It is. All right. Now you just like totally like my, my, my brain is flipping over. <laughs> I'm feeling very dense right now because I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if wolf rider spirits are limitless as far as where they can travel, but immortal spirits are bound to the time and place. Okay, I follow where the you. Palace exists. Let's say the palace leaves the world of two moons. A wolf rider spirit would still be able to be with mortal elf spirits. Exactly. Because yeah. it's limitless where it can go. Right. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And my yeah. my my poor brain understands it. I, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's probably just the way I was explaining it. Um. Yeah. So anyway, fascinating little bit of. Um, yeah, info that's revealed that I'd like to see more about or hear more about. So, oh yeah, the one the, the one last thing to say about it is mm-hmm. um, we've talked on uh, prior episodes about the what Skywife says in the Final Quest special about you know one day going back to oh. and restoring the quote unquote star home. Yes, and I wonder. You know, like it's really easy to read that line and kind of take it as a throwaway line, but I really do wonder if that was like a big fat hint about where this is all going. Um, and then hearing what Timmy has to say, I wonder if that's like another kind of piece of the puzzle. Like maybe they have to go back to the original world to, you know, kind of release their connection to this one chunk of it. I don't know. Oh yeah, that would make sense. Yeah, maybe maybe. In order to do that, they would have to have the palace become one with that world, the star home again. And then right. that would allow them then to be limitless as far as where they can go in the universe. Right. Yeah. So who knows? Like I don't restoring know. That, pl- that planet because a piece of it is missing. Right. Exactly. So it's I guess... Dark you know, crystal territory. Right. Time will tell. Um, yeah. You know, so really interesting, though. Yeah. So so, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're still on page two at almost an hour in. So I'm going to try to move <laughs> us along. <laughs> I just I want to uh, just mention something here that kind of threw me a bit. And I don't know if you noticed this as well. But um, Moonshade says the palace's aura is round like a ball. It reaches way past even the two moons. It was just something about the way she spoke there when she used the word way. Way. Yeah. It seems. um like it's uh, slightly anachronistic. anachronistic. Yeah. yeah. Yes. So okay, I wasn't the only one who noticed. Yeah. That. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It did seem slightly off to me. Like it would have sounded more elf-like um, and in character for a moonshade if it read, "It reaches far past even the two moons." Right. Um, yeah. So you know, just a little thing, but I yeah. I don't know. It just read wrong to me. It doesn't sound right when I read it. That right. shade would say that. Right. I agree. Yeah, um, totally. We'll, like just a little. Yeah, we can forget but, that. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, all right. Yeah. So so we find this out and that, of course, um, you know, kind of gets Winkin thinking and he kind of chuckles to himself and, you know, kind of says, yeah, like she'd love that. You know, always seeking adventure, the next adventure. She would challenge the sun itself with Tildak. And of course, he's talking about Kavi. And, you know, kind of explains to Moonshade that, you know, uh, you know, they say that her spirit or Tildax has never spoken to anyone. And I know he's dead, but I wonder if she's still alive. And t- another little w- bit of um, 
information that we get about how elf spirits work comes from Timmy and where she says, not all spirits speak, some you must feel, mm-hmm. which is interesting because that explains why, you know, some spirits make themselves known, why some don't, why some elves are able to perceive them and some don't, so on and so forth. So I right. um, thought that was kind of interesting. And we kind of leave the scene where with Timmy or with, I'm sorry, with Moonshade saying, yeah, try sending your feelings out to Kavi and Tildeck and see if they respond and let you know, and when can, you know, we kind of get a dot, 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 you know, kind of let's see, you know, hold on and we'll come back to this um, with him basically saying, you know, I don't know how I'm going to do that because I'm, I'm so not used to kind of opening up and communicating with others and things like that. That's right. um, and then we cut to back to an Angriff Jun's, you know, sort of the throne Enclave. room. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yes. Um, and talk about a jarring transition. Wow. Yeah. You know, from yeah. this ethereal, beautiful, otherworldly, glowing crystal Magical palace yeah. to this sooty, dirty, you know, dark and candlelit, heavy makeshift throne room put mm-hmm. together by this human warlord who it really kind of emphasizes who's holding how, a gun. Right. Who's holding a gun. Right. Right. How um, primitive the humans are and how physical versus spiritual they are and how violent and dangerous they are even today mm-hmm. what 20,000 years after the high winds crashed and the humans slaughtered them yeah you it's know just, for as, the, the means have changed the intentions really have right as 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 in fact the intentions have probably gotten worse because back then it was probably just sort of animal instinct and Air fear survival. and now it's a little bit more um, nefarious if you will but um Definitely. but yeah it really just kind of strikes home that um you know, there's an element of human nature, at least for some people, that is just bad. That's right. Um, yeah. And and, you know, and the only um, saving grace is the Shunas and Corbasis of the world. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the little patches and the Nana and Adars and. Exactly. Um, yeah. So the other huge chunk of revelation that we mm-hmm. get. Um, is on this next page where we hear the Jun talking about where he got the gun. And right. he tells the story of a character who we've seen before, but haven't seen in a while. His name is Arden Jarum, which of course is a tongue twister. Well, Arden just, before, Jarum. just before we mention him, we have to mention Two Edge because oh, right. on that last page, right, we're looking at the gun. Uh, the Jun says that this uh, this weapon was forged forged for his father, the Grommel Jun, by yep. the um, the master smith who is Two Edge, right. and Ember immediately thinks Two Edge, right? So, unsurprisingly, um, unsurprisingly Two Edge yeah. created uh, a gun, right? Okay, a firearm. And, yeah. So firearms yeah. are now they now exist on the world of Two Moons. Well, at least one of them does, right? At least one. So, yeah. Or that's what... potentially more. Maybe Two Edge is roaming the world with a, a rifle or something now, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> or the, the entire go backs, right? Oh my God! Yeah. Could you imagine if he <laughs> if he put guns in the back? Uh, someone, okay, someone, muskets. someone out there. We ha- we we are tasking you guys out there, all you fan artists. Somebody needs to do some fan art of go backs with guns. Well, you know uh, what? It's it's kind of entering into steampunk territory a little bit with that. Right, steam right. elf. <laughs> I could see it happening. We'll all see. right, so you know, yeah. task is on everybody listening. Start. Doing your best, um, you know, go backs with guns and posting them to the Upcast forum <laughs> or Facebook or whatever. And you know, maybe next episode we'll pick our favorite and give you a shout out. Yeah, that'd be awesome. 
Um, all right, yeah. So what we learn about Arden Jarum, who showed up in the Wave Dancer series mm-hmm. as this sort of maniacal human, um, you know, sea captain who was hell bent on slaughtering the Wave Dancers, the sea demons. Um, and there was this whole, you know, kind of backstory about how, um, you know, his wife. He basically ended up shooting or killing his wife, who was beloved, and he blamed it on the elves. And so he was on this mission to go out and slaughter them all. And of course, that storyline never got finished. Yes, because that's when ElfQuest, um, you know, the the anthology comic series kind of went on hiatus back in the um, very early 2000s. It might have even been before that. Actually, I think it, uh, maybe it was early 2000s. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, maybe so this is this is actually really clever what they've done here, what Wendy and Richard have done here, because um, that whole storyline that um, Arden Jarum was in. Um, when it initially appeared in the uh, volume two of ElfQuest, uh, the, the series in the 90s, uh, it was taking place in the future. Um, exactly. So uh, the Peenies have kind of taken advantage of, um, of the future quest storyline to kind of fix what was a continuity glitch um, and, and kind of tweaked everything so that characters who we're supposed to be further along in the storyline uh, in, in the future are now in the present day. And exactly the way yeah. they were able to do that is by um, setting up this Arden Jarm character as actually um, an insane person who uh, claimed to be from the future. Exactly. Yeah. And, even and, and, more... and, and proved and, and used the gun, this gun, that right. two-edge made to prove that he was a man from the future. And that right there is the stroke of genius in all this, mm-hmm. right? Because yes. it's like, you know, yes, they were, they, you know, wanted to reconcile this sort of timeline inconsistency and, and again, sort of incorporate elements of this wave dancer story. Um, you know, cause Arden Jarm is kind of a, you know, kind of a cool, crazy villain. And so, um, you know, like, let's use them. Let's do something. Yeah, we don't have to completely negate that storyline. It's still, it's still part of the, the story. Um, but it's just slightly changed. Right. Um, I wouldn't even say retconned. I don't think so because in a, in a way it is, but it makes sense because it's not like a cheat. It's just, uh, he, he was crazy. You, it was just information that we didn't previously know. Basically. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's another great example of where, you know, if you're going to be an ElfQuest fan, you have to be comfortable with fluidity and change and, and an organic storytelling process. Uh, again, we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. but, um, it just strikes me that that is the nature of how Wendy and Richard approach ElfQuest and tell their story. Um, and it's kind of, in contrast to what how I think most fantasy fans assume stories are told, um, you know, maybe more in the in the Tolkien model where you know, like sixteen thousand generations are known and their relationships mm-hmm. are written down yeah, in and- a stone tablet, and it's you know, it's got this sort of rigidness to it and lack of fluidity. Um, and you know, ElfQuest has rules and it has internal consistency and it's got a timeline and, and all that. And Wendy and Richard obviously pay attention to those things, but they also, again, seem to be much more interested in telling a good story, developing characters. And if that requires a little bit of fluidity, especially in light of the fact that so many ElfQuest stories in the nineties and the early two thousands were 
kind of told and written and drawn by others, mm-hmm. you know, now that they're doing the final quest and they've kind of gathered their kids home back under their, their, um, their watchful eye and their umbrella, mm-hmm. um, you know, I say more power to them and, and, you know, it just requires a little bit of flexibility on fans parts, which, um, so far I think most of us have come to embrace. Yeah. Um, I, I, I just think it's great how they were able to take this dangling plot thread and, kind of weave it back into the main tapestry of the story. Um, They did it in such a smart, clever way that it completely makes sense within the context of the storyline. So there's no, on my part, any, uh, like, I don't feel like I was cheated in any way. Exactly. In fact, it's like the opposite because it was so, such a cool, clever way of dealing with it. It just makes you love the story even more. I feel the right. same exact way. So, yeah. so yeah, so we get this bit of info that, you know, he's this madman. He's one of the Jun's, you know, bastards, Rommel Jun's bastards. Mm-hmm. So he's Ongriff's half brother. Um, and, you know, he stole the gun to prove his, his, that he was from the future and whatever. And of course, Ongriff Jun goes out and like, just finds him and has his thugs, you know, basically beat him and haul him off. And, and, and then we see something pretty horrific. Mm-hmm. I would say probably on par with what we saw back in the original quest when we learned what happened to Ekwar and Osek and Mekta mm, yeah. um, at the hands of Guttlecraw, the sort of the torture and the um, the mutilation. And so we see Arden Jarum, you know, this the current version of him shackled in chains, almost naked in a rag, um, this sort of melting flesh. Beaten and bruised. Mm-hmm. beaten his face has literally been misshapen by the beatings that he's gotten it no longer you know even has the same facial structure like his eye is all bulged and warped and his nose is bashed in yeah probably from multiple beatings he's missing you know, teeth he's just looks like teeth. a wreck right yeah. and of course he's like you know batshit crazy mm-hmm. and the question is <laughs> yeah. you know how much of it was just his normal craziness and how much of it was you know sort of influenced by the beatings that he got or the torture that he got at the hands of the john but well, at any rate I, yeah i suppose the torture just exacerbated what was already there right right yeah. mm-hmm. so so i love my favorite part of this page is ember's expression when she mm-hmm. sees him mm-hmm. because um, again, just like when she saw what the gun could do, what an alien thing for, you know, these sort of altruistic um, nature spirit, you know, sort of uh, mm-hmm. creatures that operate from a place of light That's to right. see. Like, you know, yeah. the, and the Jun is the John, by the way, is mm-hmm. is is doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Right. You know, he said, before I can torture you, I need to teach you why torture is so horrific what it is and, right mm-hmm. and what and what why you know the fear of it is uh is is is, is as much is as damaging as the actual physical act of it that's right and so first with the gun and now with you know pulling out the shell of a creature that has been so just you know brutalized and ember you can see as soon as he walks out like it like the the, the light bulb goes off for her and mm-hmm. it's like she doesn't even have to say it. They don't even need a word caption there. No. She's like, oh, my God, he did this deliberately. Mm-hmm. And she's like, gotta, I don't know. I, would, I, I see that and I see a mix of like shock, horror, and disgust kind of all playing into that expression. Yeah. And I don't need to say it, but Wendy is the master of capturing nuanced emotion in the faces of her characters. I mean, Definitely. even these stylized you know, cartoony looking characters, she can convey that kind of emotion just from one panel. It's mm-hmm. 
just amazing. Yeah, it is. It is. It's a testament to her ability as an artist. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, uh, Ember is obviously, like you say, in shock and horror. Um, and it's, uh, you know, the first time she's ever seen anything like this. So it has to be a total um, a revelation as to what humans are capable of. Right. For her. And, 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 you know, in a way, you know, it doesn't really matter what happens to Ember, like if she lives or if she dies, because even if she lives and gets away, mm-hmm. I feel like she's going to basically have scars from this, uh, this experience. You know, she's yeah, seen think, things that mm-hmm. no other wolf rider or elf has really sort of, well, maybe not no other Equar, I think. Yeah. You know, you could say probably has, you know, seen and experienced this kind of thing firsthand, but, um, you know, you know what, I wonder if Redlands would be able to, um, sympathize with her on a, on a deeper level as well. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. Given that he, he was kind of held hostage for a bit and, and right. uh, tortured, but yeah. not, not to the same extent, obviously that. Yeah. Um, I mean, his, his torture, I think was more straightforward. It was physical. Yeah. They, they beat him and they were going to stab him, you know? Right. And so, right. um, just this the, is just the terror I would think would be. Right. Something they could uh, both empathize over right. each other. All right. So, um, so you know, we, we get the, all of these bombs and, and huge pieces of story revelation that come out just in what, like these first four pages. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so Arden Jarm comes out and like sees Ember and he's like, oh, my God, it's one of them. Look at them. They're beast-side demons. They're real. They're hideous, vicious, unnatural, foul, and, you know, freaks out. They're everywhere. And then, of course that's when we cut over to the rest of Ember's wolf riders fleeing from Rathal the Athol. Mm-hmm. Um, Rathal, Angriff Jun's um, last remaining son. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's, it's the, the, the wolf riders and their, their human children charges, um, the du boy, boy the girl, girl. And, um, whoever the other one is. And, uh, you know, they're on deer back. And so they finally, the humans have finally caught up with the wolf riders. They see them. They're on this sort of rocky cliff overlooking a raging river. And, you know, they, you know, the, the, uh, Rathal is like, you know, slay them, shoot. They start firing. Um, you know, the Junsmen are clearly going to the same, um, the same shooting school as stormtroopers. Because they fire off <laughs> all these wrist, wrist bolts, and you know they manage, they manage not to hit anybody. Um, <laughs> and so, but whatever. I'm, again, I'm yeah. willing to forgive that. That's you know we don't want you know we we, we obviously uh, don't want a bloodbath. No, but don't. um, but t- take a look at that bottom panel where you have uh, Tear and Scouter and um, Mender all on the back of their mounts. And um, I just love that panel. I, again, another one that sort of, to me, is just so wolf ridery. And, um, you know, you got wolf riders on the backs of their wolves um, and they have their weapons and they're sort of in, you know, it's kind of like, it reminds me of the scene um, in the wild hunt when Ember's wolf riders flee the troll, uh, Queen Drub's troll caverns, and they're ambushed by Larrigan and um, and the Junsmen, and they you know they have to ride Underbelly, which of course then harken back to when the trolls attacked after they killed Lord Vall, and the Wolf Riders again were kind of fleeing on Wolfback. This whole scene kind of is reminiscent to me of those. Yeah, and again, it just kind of rings of classic Elf Quest. You mentioned this a few episodes ago, but it's nice to see the wolves. We haven't really seen too much of them so far. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't really played a significant part in the storyline as far as like even knowing their names i mean i don't really know any like what's the name of ember's wolf i don't even know if we've seen it yet 
Yeah, I don't you know. Think... Um, so that's that's something that I'd like to see more of because they're the wolf riders. So I want to see them interacting with their wolves. I would Me like too. to see that a bit more. Yeah, and um, um, I might have mentioned it in in the last time we talked about it, but I've heard Wendy say that you know she she wants to make the wolves a little bit more prominent in the final quest than maybe they have oh, been in past stories. So, um, and I'm all for that too, for that exact reason. So, so far, the only one we know is Filcher, which is Cutter's wolf. Right. Um, I don't think we've gotten the names of any of the other wolves. Uh, but, uh, what was Tree Stump's wolf's name? What oh, um, Stone, Stone Chest. Yes. Stone Chest. Yeah. Okay. And so um, we oh. were just talking about character profiles on ElfQuest.com. Right. And I, somebody said something about wanting to know the wolves' names on the ElfQuest forums. And so I spent one evening going through my brain and, you know, referencing issues. And I think I captured all of the wolf names from the the comics and, you know, canonical things or mostly, you know, as much as we can say, um, you know, like the uh, Journey to Sorrow's End novelization and put them with their characters. Oh, great. So, so now I'll if you look at a, at a Wolf Rider's profile, if the wolves' names are known, yes. then, um, then I put them in there. Oh, and, great. Okay. You know, obviously, if That's I've fantastic. gotten anything wrong, all you need to do is send a comment in um, you know, anywhere on, on the Facebook fan page or on the ElfQuest forums, and I'll find it, and I'll, you know, I'll, I can make any corrections at any time. So, but I, I really wanted to get the wolf names in there too, because a lot of mm. fans ask about that. And I, if, if we can make these profiles a resource, um, you know, with a fair degree of certainty that the information is accurate, then, you know, then they just become a better piece of the elf quest experience. And so this is going to end up turning into a second job for you. I think <laughs> you're going to have to hire an, an intern. Um, well, yeah, hopefully it won't get, get that bad because I already have a full-time job and yeah. I do freelance work on the side. So, um, yeah. <laughs> um, you know what too, I was wondering, does tier have a wolf? a wolf? So I don't think so. No, I, I don't know so either. I mean, we might've talked about this too, but I mean, it's pretty clear from what's happening in the final quest that he doesn't have a mount that he, you know, he's riding one of the deer, um, there isn't a wolf there for him. And um, and so, you know, in the past, mm -hmm. we saw him with his whole pack of wolves. Mm -hmm. And here's my take on it. Mm -hmm. As I have mentioned here before, um, and I know how, uh, this is how many other people feel, that, you know, in some ways, Tyr has a sort of a Mary Sue element about him. A Mary Sue being like, you know, just kind of a character that's created that maybe is just too perfect. Like super perfect. Yeah. And so, you know, the fact that like, one of the things that has always irritated me about Tyr mm -hmm. is that he's presented as this character who it's like whatever the Wolf Riders can do, he can do better. He can you know, like hide his scent better. He can stalk better. He can be silent better. You know, he has better woods lore. Um, he can kill six cup horns when the Wolf Riders can only kill two. You know, and then with, with this, with the latter Wolf uh, Wild Hunt stories, not only you know was he seen sh shown riding a wolf, but he had a whole freaking pack of wolves. That's right. And I just you know it was like really like yeah you know it's just it's it was too much. And so I suspect that maybe that's what Wendy and Richard felt too, mm -hmm. and that you know mm -hmm. they basically are just saying you know that those wolves got incorporated into the um, the wolf riders pack. Yeah, because and in the wild hunt he he was 
controlling an, an entire pack of wolves, like you say. It was like he they were a WMD. Yeah, w- uh, like a weapon of mass destruction. Oh. You could just you know control an entire freaking pack of wolves. Like yeah, right. that's a yeah. little bit much. Well, I mean, yeah. I I got the impression that it was not that he was always controlling them 100 percent of the time, but that he could. No, no. But that but, he did use them in that way. Yeah, yeah when they were sure. hunting or, right. or fighting. Right. Yeah. And so I kind of like the idea that, you know, they've kind of let that Pulled piece that of Tears character go. And mm-hmm. um, again, I think it's logical. You can explain it very, um, you know, without having to bend or twist too much. You know, those wolves got incorporated into the pack over the course of, you know, the 20 to 40 years that has passed since those those days. And, you know, Tyr not actually being a wolf rider, mm-hmm. um, you know, he just didn't bond with the wolf. He, well, he Maybe he didn't feel the need. You know, maybe he found that pack of wolves. Mm-hmm. as a way to make himself seem like just that much cooler so that Ember would let him back into the tribe. Or they know? just got sick of his whining and left. <laughs> or that. <laughs> That's another option. Poor tear. Um, <laughs> all right. So yeah. um, we see we see another one of Two Edges creations here too, which we also saw in Shards. But it's right. the, um, the wrist bolt. The wrist bolt. bolt. Yep. 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 Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we cut back. Yeah, th- th- this is all happening like so quickly. Like we're cutting oh, back yeah. and forth between almost into you know, the palace to the Jun's you know makeshift throne room to the Wolf Riders fleeing back to the to the throne room. And again, we see the raving Arden Jarum saying that you know that little thing in the chair is like way smaller than the the man sized creatures that live in the oceans. And you get to see his sort of warped fairy tale nightmare vision of what in his mind the wave dancers are these awful you know sea monsters with poison spines and fangs and you know really ugly and nasty and scary and um yeah and like a, a nightmare version of the the wave dancers exactly and again i think this this kind of thing here you know last episode we talked about um, you know, the palace that being hidden and disguised as sort of a mountain as sort of the Elfquest version of, um, uh, you know, the, 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 Those the earth mythology. Kind of, yeah, the, yeah, right. And so I, I kind of like feel like this is another example of that where, you know, it's kind of like the, the idea of like, you know, sea monsters is coming out here uh, or sea creatures, the creature from the Black Lagoon. That's kind of what these things look like. Definitely. Um, and they're really just human interpretations of something that is normal and natural that we, because we're human, you know, just have mucked up and, you know, completely missed the point and now have this prejudiced, awful, bigoted version in our minds of what these things are. Well, it's exactly um, like how many people felt about wolves throughout most of human history. Totally. Um, and some still do today. Uh, thankfully do, not. Yeah. yeah, but exactly, unfortunately. But um, same idea, right? It's it's the um, without having full knowledge out of ignorance, believing right. that they're dangerous, evil creatures right. that are out to bloodthirsty and out to kill you. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, um, well, it's just again, it just seems like part of human nature that we do this. And mm-hmm. seeing it presented this way in ElfQuest is one of those great examples of how, you know, I hate to get sappy, but how ElfQuest really is a lot more than just a comic book and that there's real wisdom in there. And for those of us, you know, like you and me who have read this for so much of our lives, in my case, you know, most of my life, I started reading this thing, you know, when I was 10 and I'm about to turn 39. So it's, you know, been the majority of my life. Um, there's, there's really good takeaway, you know, um, philosophical points of view and 
you know, dare I say it, spiritual guidance that you can take from this, you know, silly little comic book about elves. And that is one of the things that draws me to it. You know, it's, right. it's it really does um, make you think if you yeah. if you let it, you know, you don't have to. Like, you can just flip through this page and be like, oh, cool sea monster. And yeah. Keep going. But if you think about it and you're prone to that kind of thing, there really is a lot more there that's going on. Of meaning. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So are you saying that this is sort of the New Testament of Elf Quest? <laughs> yes, this is the New Testament. All right. The final quest is the New Testament. There we go. I think, I think we can say that. Sure. It might even be the, uh, you know, the book of Revelation where. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like all that. The, the, where the, the shit hits the fan. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah, a new world begins. Oof. Right. Yeah. All right. So we see we see Arden Jarum, you know, his his sort of demon vision of the wave dancers and Ember immediately knows who he's talking about. And her facial expression changes. And, you know, damn that Angriff Jun, he is witty enough to, you know, kind of perceive that. And he knows exactly what she's thinking. And again, even though she doesn't say anything, she gives away kind of a, you know, a piece of information that he he wanted. And we're going to find out in a few pages what happens as a result of that. But before that, we cut back to the Wolf Riders, you know, fleeing under this barrage of wrist bolts. And the, you know, the Junsmen finally hit something. They hit one mm-hmm. of the poor deer mm-hmm. in the rump and it goes careening over the cliff with one of the little girls with the girl. The girl one. I think her name is Molly. Yeah, I think it is too. But I, I like we, the girl. Yeah. Well, the other one can be the other one can be the girl. Okay. The older one is the girl. <laughs> the older one is the girl. So Molly um, falls off the cliff and um, Yun is the one, Yun and her wolf actually are the one, you know, like they, they catch her. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like that. I like seeing Yun get a little bit of screen time. We haven't really seen too much of her yet. And she's actually yeah. one of, uh, one of the cooler characters to me. Um, mm-hmm. I think she's, you know, she's kind of like the anti-tier. Yeah. In think about way? Yun. I mean, she has a lot going for her. She's Skywise's daughter. Um, she's a go back and go backs are just cool, mm-hmm. but she's like so understated, you know, she yeah. kind of just does her thing. She's loyal. She's smart, but not, um, you know, like not, genius. yeah, but not cerebral. She's right. like, like Yun's who you want to go drinking just with. down to earth and like, <laughs> yeah. And, and chill. Like, yeah, exactly. You'd want to yeah. go hang out with her and, and go have a beer. Right. And you know, yeah. again, you know, you know, she's got your back, you know, she'll have, you know, some, some, some wisdom and some common sense. And, um, you know, she doesn't yeah, have any special magical abilities, yeah. but, you know. And she's, she's not just, looking for a fight, but if anybody messed with you, she'd kick their ass. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so Yun's just cool. And, you know, again, I think she's kind of like the anti-Mary Sue, um, even though she could have been a Mary Sue being Skywise's daughter. Exactly. Yeah. Um, um, so I like the top panel with the, uh, the wolves. Specifically, you mentioned Yun's wolf. I like her wolf in the top panel because uh-huh. it's clear that it's, um, the terrain that they're on is awkward for the wolves to walk on, being totally. all these boulders. Yep. Um, and you can almost um, like hear the clinking of their claws, trying to grasp at the these rocks and kind yep. of sliding around and trying to find their footing. Um, totally. Yeah. The, the artwork there is uh, is really great at conveying that. Right. And mm-hmm. you can even see, you know, you can see Sust and um, Pike, they, you know, shifting in their in their seat, if you will, on their wolves, mm-hmm. trying mm-hmm. to get out of the way of these arrows. So so yeah. maybe we won't give the Junsmen too much grief for being a bad shot because the elves are ducking out of the way. But right. um, so. Um, so, yeah, anyway, um, Molly falls off the cliff. We see Yun catch her. And and this is what solidified the, the girl. 
right? Corpasi grabs the girl. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that solidified in my in my heart that of these kids, the one that I wouldn't mind sticking around is Molly, the little one, the the burn survivor. Yeah, because she's she's more upset about the poor deer, and that's what she says—the poor deer mm-hmm. that got shot and fell off the cliff—than mm-hmm. she is about the fact that she almost just plummeted to her death. Right. Yeah. And so I just thought that was sweet. Yeah, um, that is sweet. Mm-hmm. But so now the action is picked up. I mean, this is moving fast pace. So, you know, they save her from running around the cliff. Corvassi's at the very back of the pack. They're like about to shoot him. He ducks and and. Little, little in this crazy action, you get this like half a second where he notices this weird symbol carved into the rock. But before you can get any more information about it, um, you have Rathal shrieking like, you know, kill them, kill them, kill them. Mm-hmm. And Tillit and um, Dushine are like, you know, he's he's reckless. He's kill crazy. We're going to have to make a stand. And that could mean, you know, fatalities. And Meanwhile, then we've got you- this close up of Poole who's listening to his his mothers mm-hmm. um discuss this and he closes his eyes uh, obviously contemplating you know what the danger that his tribe is in and knowing that something has to be done and and making the decision in the next panel right um, and sure enough mm-hmm. go ahead you describe it well uh he leaps up uh above where everybody is onto the rocks um draws his bow fires an arrow and it goes right between Rathal's eyes. Exactly. Yeah. And stop. Right. Now he does get shot in the process. He does. Which yes. I liked. You know, he did make himself a you know, an easy target. And um if there were no wounds or casualties on the elf side, it would be unrealistic. But Absolutely. the best part about all this mm-hmm. is the sound effect that it makes when the arrow hits Rathal between the eyes. It's just like Thop. Thop. It's yeah. it's like the most undramatic, like most uh, what what's the word I'm looking for? Um, it's, anticlimactic, maybe. Yes, it's yeah. like we don't even like the sound of the arrow that kills you. Like it does it. Does, you're not even important enough to get like a really cool sound. You just right. get a thop. And his last word is uh. Exactly. <laughs> like it really like it really drives home the point that he is Rathal the Athol. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like just how meaningless his life and death were and he just kind of falls off the cliff and that's yeah. it and that's it and that's and it's he, over and he's done i love the sound effects actually on this page there's the kashing from the um the mm-hmm. wrist bolt and then the thung from uh Poole's bow and then the thunk of the arrow into his leg and right. then we've got the thop and then yeah rattles off the cliff speaking of which one other little sidebar and that is for the complete ElfQuest graphic novel volume two, which is going to be out, I believe, in February. It's the you know it's the second in the series. The first one is the Bible that just came out in August. The Old um, Testament. The Old Testament, and um, the the volume two is going to be the um, collect the Siege of Blue Mountains, but uh, Siege of Blue Mountain and Kings of the Broken Wheel storylines. And Richard posted on Facebook something really cool. And that is that when they got to at least the Kings of the Broken Wheel storyline um, back in the early 90s, the um, actually, yeah, early 90s. I think that series started in 19. Uh, yes. Yeah, because yes. I was a senior. I was a freshman in high school. Um, mm-hmm. That's why I remember it. But um, but yeah, at any rate, um, they were doing digital lettering at that point, which means that they can completely kind of redo it without altering 
Um, like the, in other words, the word bubbles in Kings of the Broken Wheel and beyond, and 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 from then on mm-hmm. were sort of digitally overlaid over the art. Whereas before that, like the word bubbles, I think were actually drawn into the art. And so it's a lot easier to sort of re-letter them digitally. And so what Richard shared is that um, I'm, I might mispronounce your name, um, Nate. I think his name is Nate uh, Picos. Um, Picos so. is yeah. the is the guy who came up with the ElfQuest font based on Wendy's original lettering in the original quest. Um, and we're seeing that in the final quest. So he is actually going to be re-lettering at least the Kings of the Broken Wheel portion. I don't know if it's going to happen with the um, with the uh, Siege of Blue Mountain portion of the book. And one of the things that I noticed in the one sample page that Richard shared was how cool his sound effect lettering is. Um, it's, you know, it's definitely a lot more organic than what the original look was, which was, you know, digital lettering, um, you know, like preserver talk and, um, and these sound effects. And so mm-hmm. you saying that Ryan just made me think of that. So I wanted to throw it out there and, you know, give a plug for that book. That's coming out as well. So we just had complete ElfQuest Volume One come out in August. In October, we're getting the ElfQuest Gallery Edition. In February, we're getting Volume Two of the complete ElfQuest, and in April, we're getting Volume One of the complete or of the Final Quest graphic novel. So amazing! So much good stuff coming out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so huge shout out then to Nate Picos. Yeah, yeah, for his his uh, sound effect lettering and also his lettering in in the entire series so far. Done yeah. a great job. Yeah, totally. So, um, so yeah, back to the story. Rathal, mm-hmm. he's done. He falls off the cliff. Um, you know, uh, we got a panel gets... of his his soldiers, his men standing around, and I just want to say, um, with all the attention we lavish on the elves and their design and what they look like, credit where it's due. Wendy designs amazing human characters, and I don't think she gets enough credit for it. Um, right, all right. of them are so distinct looking. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not one of them is sort of a, a copy of the other. Um, there's no like clones, like they all look exactly the same. They're all distinctively different. Right. Well, and the other thing is concerned. And, and the other thing too is, is, you know, look at the armor design. Um, yeah. just take a look. It's, it's, it's really neat. It's definitely, um, not easily recognizable as any one human culture in, in, in the real world. Mm-hmm. But there are elements of, yeah. you know, sort of a cross between kind of like medieval European and maybe yes. medieval, you know, Japanese. Yeah, like uh, Mongol inspired. Exactly, yeah. I always so, thought that about um, Grommel Jun and his his armor. It was, right. there's a, an element of like the Mongol horde. Exactly, that yeah. As well. right. yeah. And these guys are Junsmen, so they're, you know, they're, using the same kinds of armor that he did. So, exactly. um, so yeah, so, so pool gets shot in the leg. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. He falls down. Um, you know, the, the humans are scrambling cause their leader just got shot. They don't know what to do. So, um, that gives Mender any, a chance to heal pool. Right. Um, any ideas, speculation as to what that symbol is that Krabassi is looking at there? Um, I have no flipping clue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, really I don't. don't. I, mean, I don't know if that's going to be something like a revelation. We'll we'll later go. Oh, that's what it is, or if it's just a generic symbol that the humans uh, of um, the Longrider tribe use to indicate, you know, yeah. where sanctuary is. Yeah, I I, I I have no ideas, no theories. I mean, no. something's up. Yeah, and that and it looks like it's an arrow pointing up. Right. So uh, beyond that, I couldn't tell you. It's that but... arrow underneath that's throwing me, though. What the heck is that for? 
again, yeah. no idea. Yeah, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so that happens in the panel too. And of course we get mm-hmm. to see Poole saying how much he hates killing humans, which was kind of maybe extraneous a little bit, but it also was in character. You know, he is Tilly's son after all. And, um, you know, I think it, it also is a, the thing, the thing that I liked about it, um, was that, you know, we know Scouter can lose his temper and lose his perspective and, you know, basically get kill hungry when it comes to humans or trolls for that matter. Mm-hmm. And obviously Poole escaped that. And um, I think that's kind of nice. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah, yeah he's obviously more sensitive soul. Right. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that happens. And we see um, at that point, um, Tyr releases the, the the remaining deer and lets them you know flee on their own so not they don't get killed. And then we cut back to Ember, who senses through Tyr that Rathol is dead. And you know here's Ember trying to get into the territory of sort of a word war, if you will, mm-hmm. or a wit war that probably her brother would be a little bit more adept at. Mm-hmm. And so she kind of tries to goad and hurt the uh, the Jun by saying, you know, I wonder, you know, do you have any tears for your cubs now that both are dead? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and Expecting she... Expecting that to maybe uh, be a bit more jarring to him. Exactly, yeah. To but and they have game. Right, and they have this, you know, sort of back and forth exchange, the end of which, you know, the Jun is out on top again. You know, he's like, whatever, like in my realm... I do, my people do what's good for me. Screw your wolf pack, you know, altruism and helping each other and whatever. Um, and so I would say so far in this battle of wits, like mm-hmm. it's like, you know, O for four, you know, Ember being O. <laughs> the John, I think, is, is is winning. He's beating her. I think at, so too. He's getting yeah. information out of her. Um, you he's know, definitely and, got the upper hand. Yeah, and he's got um, the upper hand. She calls him a cub eater and says, so oh, what? Right. Even wolves do that. They don't often kill their fathers or mothers, though. Wolves do what's good for the pack. Um, what do you make of that as a naturalist? So um, I think, you know, it, it is true that sometimes wolves will, like many animals, um, and we frankly don't always understand why Hamsters. they do this. Yeah, will eat their babies. Um, yeah. You know, it could be I've that they're it. ill. It could be that the individual animal is sick or whatever. Um, they're also, um, you know, it, 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 in in wolf packs, there is a there is a hierarchy, and there's a dominant male and a dominant female, and they uh, mostly the dominant female, the alpha female, kind of keeps the other females from mating, mm-hmm. and that of course is a survival strategy because you know if all the female wolves had babies, the wolf packs would be you know 50 strong, and there wouldn't be enough food. Right, and so one of the the perks or privileges of being the dominant animals that you get to breed, and sometimes, um, and we actually saw this in Elf Quest being reflected back in um, the shard storyline. That's where Holdfast Cutter's Wolf came from because one of the, you know, the beta females, if you will, um, bred and the, the, the dominant female came and killed the cubs. So mm. I think what Ember is saying is that, you know, that, that happens in nature sometimes. Um, and then the bit about, you know, wolves don't often kill their fathers or mothers, though. I mean, for, in the real world, wolves can be pretty violent, just like any social animal, humans included. And um, sometimes they do kill each other. Um, you know, sometimes the offspring does kill the adult. But I think the message here mm-hmm. is that 
Um, it wouldn't make sense in a wolf pack for you know the you know the young to come up and, and attempt to slaughter their parents because their parents are the leaders and they have the wisdom and they know what's going on. And so, as a general rule of thumb, they don't do that until the leader becomes weak and it's time to take over or whatever. And um, you know, and and I'm just I'm glad that the wolf riders haven't actually followed that behavior. Oh my god! Wolves, right, eating cubs <laughs> Could you imagine? and killing parents. Yeah. Yeah, not mm-hmm. good. No. Um, but of course, none of it phases the John. He just no. says, you know, well, in my realm, my pack does what's good for me. And um, and then we see this poor long rider woman come in attempting to feed Ember what looks like some soup. And of course, she's like, uh, disgusting. You call this food? I love that expression on her face. <laughs> well, what I what I really like, I just want to mention the art um, on the previous page and also a little bit into the next one is um, it's it's basically... Uh, Wendy's kind of shifting our viewpoint around just these two characters, Ember and the Jun, and we're kind of going back and forth between them, seeing them at different angles. Um, and so just in doing that, it keeps the page from being really static and, yeah. and just being a couple of talking heads. Um, no, that's actually a really good point that I didn't notice. You're right. It's like the camera angle shifts from panel to panel. And, and um, yeah, exactly. And so it, it keeps it from getting boring visually. Also, she's made it evident just through um, the positioning of the characters, what the power uh, dynamic, the, is. dynamic is between them, because it's always the Jun above Ember. Right. Um, he's looking down at her in one panel. Uh, she's always below him. Right. Um. So you can visually, you're able to see what the power dynamic is immediately between these two characters. That's definitely really interesting. Somebody who studies comic book art needs to analyze this page from all those perspectives. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and put I mean, it in, and put it in a textbook. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, that's it. It's it's a textbook um, uh, page for you know how to visually explore power dynamics between characters. It's right. it's a masterwork in that sense. Um, I love too the coloring that Sunny's done um, on Ember. Uh, her skin tone mm-hmm. with her hair and her eyes it's just uh, it's perfect. It's yep. just very um, I don't know how to describe it soft. Like her skin tone just looks so like uh, luscious. <laughs> <laughs> right, it's you, just, you, it's just you're getting beautiful. creepy on me now. <laughs> Maybe that's, um, that's not the best word, but um, no, I agree. Sunny does a great job with yeah, the with the colors. Um, coloring, mm-hmm. yeah, and you know, again, we see in that one panel too the uh, the, the the great um, colored uh, pupil, which is one of my favorite techniques, as we've talked about. You know, that gives the elves that sort of glowing look to their eye that right. makes them very alien, but also beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's that jewel, the jewel tones of the uh, the iris. Right. Mm. Um, so, um, you know, without going, you know, we don't have to, you know, read each panel word for word. I think the next thing I want to jump to is the next huge, horrific thing that happens. You know, you see the Jun sitting there talking and, um, you know, to Ember and then, you know, they're talking about Arden Jarum. And the next thing you know, he pulls out the gun and blasts Arden Jarum, basically blows his head off. It's pretty gruesome. Pretty gruesome. And... You know, again, we see Ember, you know, in shocked horror and then anger and disgust. And you see this, like, just gory brain chunks and, 
you know, dripping blood and just sort of limped, lily-limbed body corpse that's chained to the wall. I mean, it was, I mean, you flip the page and you see this and you're like, oh my God, what just happened? Exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's gruesome. Um, but classic Wendy with the, uh, the transitioning panels. The panel, the uh, panel, yeah. And very little dialogue. Yeah, yeah. It's visually, um, just told to us the story. Right. I mean, even, even the gun burst doesn't have like a bang or no. a sound effect. It's mm-hmm. literally just the art that mm-hmm. is this, you know, this this burst, you know, illustration. And it completely yeah. communicates what's what's going on. Absolutely. Yeah. But the best part or the worst part is that, you know, you get through these the first what six panels mm-hmm. and then the the bastard Jun really twists the knife in the wound. Because mm-hmm. then after Ember just saw this, this deliberate murder which mm-hmm. is a concept that's just so alien to these to the elves especially the wolf riders he looks at her and says oh and never forget it it was a look in your eyes that betrayed your sea kin and made me realize that Arden jarm was useless to me because i was just trying to figure out if they were real or not and you confirmed it for me so guess what it's on your head that i just did it's this horrific fault. thing yeah i mean what a just and not only does she look entirely pissed off, she also really looks like a caged animal Absolutely. at that point. That's, yeah. I think, when she starts realizing, oh, crap, what have, yeah. what have I gotten myself into? Yeah, I think she's starting to unravel a little bit. A little bit, yeah. horrible. I mean, I like Little Ember is being so brutalized. And again, no, without even having a finger. Choplicker, you know, and, and now yeah. where she is. Totally. And, you know, without even a finger being laid on her. Well, I mean, I guess he did choke her last issue, but right, you know right. what I mean. It's exactly. Like, Psychological. Right. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that's that was chilling and horrible and awful to look at. But, um, you know, the end probably, of Jarum. Yeah, that's the end of him. So he's um, out of the story. Right. He comes back in with one issue and mm-hmm. leaves and, in the same. And out again. Yeah. Right. Um, and he so a gun with him. Right. And so, of course, Tyr is feeling her, you know, her anguish. And he's like, I can't deal with it. Like, we're one. Let me bear the pain for you. And she's like, no, you know, you need all of your strength to get away and survive. And essentially, like, the more you're focusing on me, the less likely you're going to end up getting killed and killing the tribe with you, which is the exact opposite reason of why I made you the leader and sent you away. And so you flip the page and, and you know, we see this, this, well, the, this sort of double page spread here i'm still my mind is still kind of trying to wrap around what's going on here but we see you know ember and she's like saying mother help me let me help me do what you did which is essentially to sort of deny recognition and Mm -hmm. um and you see her basically in this three panel progression you know saying like i need this power i need it because i you know i need to do this because i need to right now because it's both of our survival if Is we're still so connected exactly. and we're so you know sort of out of our, our 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 you know brains or whatever because we're so distracted and whatever and then it just ends with her saying right now right now and you see this um peace or maybe not peace but <sighs> there's there's some sort of like she knows it's worked, right? I, She's, I, yeah, it's like resignation. Yeah, maybe is yeah. like there. There is an element of peace because mm-hmm. she's not being you know tortured emotionally by the connection that can't be fulfilled. Um, but it's it's not a happy peace. No, right? no, no, no. Um, and I mean that right there. Those three panels are I, it just blew me away. Like took my mm-hmm. breath away. So um, what exactly is happening here? 
I don't we need know. to discuss the uh, the finer points of what Ember's just done. Has yeah. she used some sort of latent healing power to shut down recognition? Has is this an ability that all elves have, or is this just um, through the power of sheer will she's been able to shut it off um, temporarily in order to survive? Is this a survival mechanism? Yeah, I, I mean, my answer to all of those questions is. We got to keep reading because yeah. I honestly have no idea. Mm-hmm. Here, here's what I can say. Okay. With relative, um, you know, uh, relative assure, assuredness that what I'm going to say is accurate. She somehow severed the bond between, mm-hmm. you know, the emotional and mental um, bond between her and Tear so that they're not feeling each other's emotions. Um, the physical bond. I don't know. I mean, we won't know until we see them back together again, if that is even going to happen, because one or the other of them could die. Exactly. I mean, we have no idea. And, you know, I, I'm afraid, kind of scared to think about that because, you know, I mean, that's not something that's ever been explored in ElfQuest before. Like, what would happen, you know, if recognition couldn't be fulfilled because one of them died? And that mm-hmm. would be pretty horrific. And given the dark nature of how the final quest has been, I mean, I think that's definitely an option on the table that definitely. one or the other of them could die. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really yeah. scary to think about. But is. what is that going to mean for them? Like, are they like, did they literally stop recognition? Does that mean they don't yeah. have to have a, have a baby? Does that mean that they're just not mentally and emotionally connected, but they still have to fulfill the biological part? Um, right. You know, and if or it's is it just f- temp- temporary and it will, uh, it'll start up again once they're right with each other. And, mm-hmm. Right. And, and, you know, if it's, if it's any of those options, like what does that mean for one versus the other? You know, if it means that the biological urge to have children goes away you know, Ember would probably be fine with that, but Tyr might not be. He might freak out about it because he wants a kid so bad. Exactly. So I don't know. You know, like what, yeah. what, what, how this is all going to play out. But yeah, I, I really love too the um, the scene where she's kind of invoking her mother, and you see, we see Lita from it's art from the original quest. Yes. Yeah. Um. You know, I just from the time in the story when she actually did hold denied. recognition at bay and denied it mm-hmm. and, you know, didn't seem to be affected by it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at least not anywhere near as bad as cutter was. So, Absolutely. um, so I like yeah. that image of, um, tear as well. I guess that is original art for this issue. I don't think that's, um, a reused, um, piece yeah. of art like the one, uh, of Lita. Um, I just, I just like the look of him here. He looks very, um, native American. Um, yeah. And he, that's one of my least favorite things about tier two. Oh, really? <laughs> well, just that, you know, I mean, I think Wendy and or Richard has said, or it's been, been quoted in an interview that, you know, with their designs, they, you know, obviously there's elements of, um, you know, European fantasy, uh, you know, uh, in design and look and feel and storylines with a healthy dose of what we might call, um, you know, Native American and New Age kind of ideas that are maybe more North American. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's all put together with, with, and I'll also add, you know, some healthy shakes of science fiction thrown in too, right? Sure. Um, but at the end of the day, at, when you put all that, you know, the mixing of the sausage, you know, that it comes out at the end being its own unique thing. Yes. And I just always felt that Tear reads, you know, American Indian. 
Okay. It's like way too blatant and it's way too obvious. Yeah. His hair color, his skin tone, where he lives on the plane, his clothing, you know, his clothing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's like, it's just so, so obviously inspired by that. that oh, okay. A bit it, too ham fisted for you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Right. So, but whatever. I mean, yeah. I don't, for the record, I don't hate Tyr. I actually like him, mm-hmm. but there's just things, some things about him that, that do irritate me. I, and, I like Tyr a lot. I liked him in Hidden Years. I know that he's been accused of being a Mary Sue, and I see definitely see elements of that in him previously. Um, but I'm not really enjoying him that much so far in Final Quest. Uh, he used to be, from my perspective, a, a capable, confident, cool character who is um, mysterious and interesting. And now he's just become um, too much of a a whiner. Yeah. And I think you're not alone. I think for just from the chatter um, online, I think a lot of people are like, gosh, here, like get your act together. Like, why are you crying again? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, some, some have leapt to his defense and I can see, you know, I mean, if you're this character who clearly has like abandonment issues, who has been, you know, essentially forced into solitude because your family abandoned you or died, Yes. And, um, you know, you've kind of resigned yourself to living the solitary life. And then suddenly, you know, you're more of your kind show up and you kind of are, you know, you've told yourself for so long that you're a loner. You don't even know how to relate to them or deal with them. And you're kind of aloof and you just kind of do your own thing. But eventually you do let those walls down. Yeah. And, you know, in many ways, tear is socially and emotionally stunted. You know, mm-hmm. it's like he he has the. Uh, you know, sort of emotional maturity of like a 12 year old. We just so, never got much of a hint of that though in the previous stories, like in hidden years. And I think that's where the difference well, you lies. Did, though. I, not, I disagree. Not to the same extent. Maybe not, not to the, to the same, same extent. extent. No, but like I, it's I, very pronounced now and it's pronounced to the point where he's become whiny. And I think right. for me, that's where the difference lies. Um, well, I'll say this. Mm -hmm. I think you're right in the original um, Hidden Years storyline where he was introduced. He was very calm and collected and cool and mysterious and everything. But that's what I'm talking about. Like once he actually, you know, sort of admitted to himself that there was an attraction to Ember and he began to let his walls down a little bit and then to have her essentially stab him in the back at the end of that storyline where she yes. basically sent him away mm-hmm. so that he wouldn't attract more of Winnow Will's, you know, shape change creatures or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he's, he's been emotionally battered since then. Sure. And I'll say too, that if you, you know, if you follow his storyline in the wild hunt, you do see some more of this erratic behavior, this sort of emotionally driven behavior where he thinks he's doing the right thing, you know, like by killing Larrigan's acolytes by burning, giving them poison ivy to burn and it closes their throats um, and basically abandoning the tribe to go after Ember and forsaking Scouter and all that. Like, you know, he definitely is operating from a place of emotion and it's not a very sort of mature emotion. It's kind of like, you know, this sort of, again, battered, abandoned child who is like clinging, you know, once he's admitted to himself that he needs something and he needs someone and that maybe he has these abandonment issues mm-hmm. that he's like clinging desperately to it. And the other thing that I'll say that's different in Final Quest is that he has just recognized Ember. Mm-hmm. And so I think you can cut, you know, we can cut him some slack for going through that right in the time of all this warfare. And the other thing is, is that he, you know, he, who knows what's going on with him and Kavi, but there is this strong hint 
that maybe she is his actual mother and yeah. the source of all of this abandonment. So he's got this like double whammy emotional, you know, huge emotional baggage that just dropped on his foot, you know, in the space of 20 minutes in the middle of a war. And mm-hmm. so if he's a little erratic and a little whiny, you know, I, 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 I'll give him some slack, but we got to see him develop out of this. If yeah. He's gonna I, I mean, remain a likable character. I do. I do understand where you're coming from. And I, I think it, it is, um, in the comics it's supported. I just think the extent and the level of it has gotten to a point where it's become almost like this doesn't feel like the same character that I was introduced to. It's uh-huh. just too, it feels too extreme. It's gone too far okay. in one direction to me. Yeah. I'm hoping that through the course of final quest, if he doesn't die in the next issue, Right. or what have you, that he will sort of come back to that place of centeredness that he had prior or that I, right. I was, you know, I, I sensed prior in the, right. in the earlier stories. Well, yeah, and I think, I think you're absolutely right. He's not the same character as the character who we were introduced to. But in this instance, I think it makes sense given what we know his character has gone through. Yeah. And I think we're going to be able to say the same thing about Ember, once we're through this, I don't mm-hmm. think she's going to be the same character that she was because of the, the experiences in the story. But Maybe I will it's grant... just partly I just don't I don't I just don't like how he's dealing with right things. That could be yeah. partly it, too. Right. Yeah. It's, it's the way he's dealing with the uh, the trauma that he's going through. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm right there with you. I mean, again, like it's like if, if we see Tyr crying one more time, like, man, come like... on. <laughs> I just please. <laughs> Here, just oh. sit out the next battle or something, you know? Right. Here's a box of Kleenex. <laughs> Go hang out in the woods with your deer. Right. Take the boy and a girl with you. We'll come get you when it's all over. And give you yes. some, like, hot milk or something. Right, I was going to say, we'll give you a cookie. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, um, all right, amidst all of this, we cut back to the palace. We see mm. Winkin, you know, sending to Kavi and just saying, like, I'm curious, like, are you out there? You know, are you traveling the stars or, and then he says, second big, biggest revelation yeah. of sorts. Then he says, issue. yeah. Um, does one with our shared blood walk with you? Answer, please. What the hell does that mean? Yeah. Right. Right. Does he mean Tildak? You know, because Tildak and, um, and Kavi were, you know, love mates for so long and, and, mm-hmm. you know, like like, is he asking, is, you know, is my father still with you in death if you are indeed dead? Um, is he talking about... I took about... that to mean... Children. Go ahead. Children. So I, my assumption based on what he said is that he's had a child with Cavi. Okay. Okay, now given what we've been told so far in this series... So you... Okay, I see where you're going. I think that Tyr is the son of Winkin and Kavi. I think that's what we're moving towards. Right. Which, yeah, I mean, I, I, this is, this, since this issue came out, obviously this has been a, an heavily discussed theory. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I mean, maybe that's what it is. Um, it, it does seem a little weird that, that that would happen. I don't know. I mean, it's like, Kavi and Tildak were so bonded. But mm-hmm. on the flip side, now that I just said those words, this is Kavi we're talking about. So 
you yeah. know, she probably just dusted her hands off after they burned Tildak's bodies and body and was like, mm-hmm. if, if, if indeed your theory is correct, yeah. I could see her being like, okay, so what do you think? Let's go for a roll in the furs. Well, hey, <laughs> so. think about it. She was willing to um, have a child with Cutter in order to, uh, you know, have a, a, a chief of chiefs give birth uh-huh. to a chief of chiefs, right? She right. went to the Forbidden Grove and was it the Forbidden Grove? No, it was cut open. Halt. It was when she cut open. Thorny. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It there, was. There was a right. typo yes. in the book. Yes. It said that story. It said Forbidden Grove, but Did they it? were actually in. Yeah. Oh, that's probably why I'm thinking of that. Yeah, yeah that is okay. why you're thinking that. <laughs> hmm. But it would have been Thorny Mountain Holt, of course, because that's where they were in their cocoons. Right. Um, but she wanted to have a child with Cutter, right? Um, so. But why would she want to have a, a child with Winkin from that well, point of no, view? Well, no, she would have wanted to have a child with Tildak. But if she didn't, she might have gone for the next best thing, which would have been his <laughs> son. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, there, that when you say it, there is a, a certain amount of logic that's consistent with logic. What we, yes that with what we know about her but um yeah. i don't know i think the other possibility is that kavi was pregnant when tildak died okay and that if she is indeed tier's mother that tier is winkin's brother the fact that he says shared blood though one with our me, shared blood yeah i mean that could apply to a sibling does mm, one with our shared blood walk with you yeah that could mean a sibling so i who knows is really what it boils down to yeah um yeah but but i mean where where the hell did this come from right right i mean it's like it totally came out of left field and you know obviously whatever it means wendy and richard are silently rubbing their hands together and cackling because we're all absolutely freaking out like yeah what the hell is going on so (laughs) Um, so that happens Mm -hmm. and then again you know fast paced we cut right back to Tyr who has just been severed from his connection from his connection to Ember and what does he do Um, he He starts sobbing and he falls off the cliff and tumbles into the raging torrent below and I forget who it was on Facebook um, yesterday or uh, I'm sorry on the forums I think it might have been Lunacat Mm -hmm. posted something you know, she's no big fan of Tyr either. And so she was like, I mean, come on, dude. Like, your girlfriend breaks up with you and you fall off the cliff. And it just <laughs> totally, I, like, went into hysterics. Um, and so, I mean, it's kind of what happened, right? Yeah. <laughs> so Tyr, like, tumbles away into the into the water. And that is what we saw on the cover that we were talking about when we first kicked the show off. Exactly. Um, so it doesn't have anything to do with the Wave Dancer connection. The Wave Dancer nope. connection on the cover was a reference to the Arden Jarm and his flashback to, you know, being fighting with Surge and the wave dancers. But um, so, yeah, Tyr ends up in the raging river. We cut back to the palace and, you know, we're communicating to someone via the scroll of colors. We don't know who it is, but we find out that Ember has finally called for help from the palace, Um, not for her, but for Tyr, who's now, you know, getting sucked away in the river. And the final page Mm-hmm. Is it's finally revealed the big dun, dun, twenty-four million dollar question dun, dun, dun. that everyone has had on their mind for like ten years? Oh, yes. Since when you re- referenced it in the Ask Elf Mom um, oh, forum on the Elfquest forum? So much contention over that Ask Elf Mom comment. Totally. Is we see Kavi in, in spirit, spirit form. Mm-hmm. So girlfriend's dead, everyone. Yeah. So you just have to love it or hate it. Yes. That's yeah. what she is, and. 
Um, she's in the spirit world and they and she's manifesting with a bunch of her, you know, fellow go backs, including Scott and Krim and Vaya and none other than Tildak, yeah. who is not in winged form. No, he is in his sort of um, old glider version. Remember, of- I said that. In the first what? episode, I said, I don't think we're ever going to see him in his shape changed form ever again. We're going to. Oh, see yes. Him yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was kind of disappointed because I liked Tildak visually. Yeah, I did time. too. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, there he's in his um, his regular elf form. Well, yeah. I think it just it, it backs up the theory that we've talked about before that, you know, the elves may, maybe can choose, you know, what they how they, how they manifest, right? Yeah. And that yeah. it's more about w- how they see themselves when they choose to, you know, sort of visually manifest in That's a right. in a in a form that um that others, you know, physical beings can see. Well, he um, and he was clearly unhappy with the form that Winnowill had given him. Exactly. Right? He was seeking uh, her out with Cavi and Winkin in order to be shape changed back into his regular form. So exactly. Yeah. Of course, he would choose his original form um, to manifest as as a spirit. Right. And who else do we see here? We've got uh, Scott, uh, Krim. Krim. Vaya, I think. Vaya. Yeah, I think that's Vaya. I'm yeah. pretty sure. Yeah. And then the two at the top left, I'm not sure who they are. They might just be random go-backs. I think they're generic. on the right. Backs, yeah. yeah. I think the guy on the right is Yif. Oh, really? Yeah. Yif okay. is the is the elf, if you think. In fact, the, now that I'm looking at him. Yeah, I'm saying, oh, really? But I have no idea who he is. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, clearly I need to write a character profile for him. Um, yeah, actually, I totally need to write a character profile for him. I don't think we have one for him. We might. But anyway, Yif is um, Yif is introduced in um, the issue number 17 of the original quest. Um, I, no, I take it back. Issue number 16. Um, it's the issue with Lita crying on the front cover. Mm-hmm. So it's the issue, you know, right after the trolls yeah. attack them and kill Lord Val and kill One Eye, and um, and then all of a sudden these go backs, these other tribes the show up, right? right. And they we get back to the lodge, and the first yeah. thing that Kavi says is Yif Scott Krim go sniff for troll tunnels to see if they like wormed their way under our floors while we were off killing their kin. Then. Mm-hmm. Um, a few pages later, when they're talking about how the Wolf Riders are like living with the Gobacks over the course of a, a yes. few weeks or however long, and you see Pike, um, no, 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 that's Via and Clearbrook. Okay. You see Pike talking to a Goback with this really big sort of troll sword, and they're de- basically debating the merits of um, of whether or not a spear is better or a sword oh, yeah. is better, right? Yes. That's yeah. that's Yif. That's Yif. Okay. And then later you see him. He's the he's the elf that in the final battle when they're in armor, when they kill Guttlecraw, mm-hmm. um, when they're dragging the dead Gobacks into the pile, that um, Kavi's like, wait, he's still kicking. Give him to me. And it's Yif. That's Yif. And and he says, you know, no, it's my turn. It's my time. Let me go. Put me in the circle. Um, so that's Yif. And so I like the fact that he's there because he was sort of referenced way back when. And he kind of had a, you know, sort of a bittersweet dramatic ending. And it's kind of nice to see him there. Mm-hmm. Um, and he definitely has that sort of distinctive hat. Um, the other yeah. thing, the other bit about Yif is that there is a theory um, that during the 
orgy scene. There we go. I brought it up this time. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that um, well there's done. that one scene where you see Skywise with the two um, go back, back maidens. Maidens. Mm-hmm. But there's a there's a fourth person there. Um, oh. Maybe he's just watching. Maybe he's participating. Um, but if you look at him, he's got the same sort of. Uh, reddish brown hair, kind of like Strongbow that you see Yif having. He's got the same straight nose, kind of narrow face. Um, so the fan theory is that Yif was, you know, either at least observing in a voyeur kind of way or participating with Skywise and those two go back maidens. And again, we'll I'm sure never get an official answer on that out of Wendy and Richard. So, you know, have what you will uh, with that little theory. And um, maybe he was the father of Vaya. Who knows? It, that's possible. Yeah, that's totally possible. You know, yeah. speaking of troll swords, uh, we haven't seen tear with his, but on the cover for issue number one of final quest, mm-hmm. tears holding uh, what looks like his troll sword. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, that is interesting. Yeah, it's interesting that Wendy would have drawn him holding it for the cover of that issue, but we have yet to see him actually brandishing it in right. any of the issues. Because I always thought that was really cool when that was introduced in Hidden Years. Right, that he had I a troll too. sword, right? And it was kind of the, oh, maybe he's related to the go-backs, and then we got more of his, his backstory. Which right. now we're not sure which direction that's going to go in. Uh, totally. Based on well, what currently happening right yeah i mean i'm I'm sure there's some kind of explanation that wendy and richard will have come up with for you know if if indeed kavi is his mother and that doesn't really gel with his memory of his backstory Mm -hmm. that he shared when we first met his character Mm -hmm. um so i'm thinking that they're going to um pull out another arden jarm kind of scenario where they'll they'll have a sort of a different take on it without actually altering what has gone before um it might not incorporating it somehow yeah it might not actually be exactly true like you know i think it's totally feasible or plausible that you know maybe kavi was his birth mother mother and she did maybe abandon him with these nomadic plains elves yeah that's and that you know and that he grew up thinking that these other elves were his parents i mean that's right you know that would be him right that would be totally in character for for kavi to do you know remember in issue number one or two, it was issue number one when he first holds her braid and then he has the flashback and she looks angry as she's leaving. Um, so I wonder, you know, we're, we're obviously going to get more of that story, but I wonder what it would have been that would have caused her to abandon him. Maybe she sensed that he had magic um, and being a go back, she was. Yep. But that wouldn't make sense because Venka had magic and Kavi had no problem with that. Well, that's true, too. Yeah, that is true. So, yeah, I think I think she yeah, I think she got used to magic and just decided well, I mean it even said that in the in in the the first troll war, you know, it's like Kavi's practical. She knows that the elves with magic even though she doesn't really like it, give them an edge up and you know, maybe since then she realized that it, you know, it's a tool to be taken advantage of like anything else. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's possible, but we shall uh, wait and see, right? We're going to get more of that story, obviously. So. Obviously, yeah. yeah. So so that um, brings us to the end of the issue. There's, of course, a nice little preview for the um, the complete ElfQuest graphic novel. There's a few pages of, uh, you know, of the original ElfQuest in its crisp black and white form that you get at the end of, uh, of issue four. So that's kind of nice that they included that as the extra. 
Um, but yeah, so with that, you know what? Um, Before we finish, uh, let's have a howl for Kavi. Yes, let's do. Okay. I guess we have to do the best and worst for this issue. Yes. Okay. So right. do you, you want to start? I'll start. Okay. <laughs> okay. Let's do my, my favorite part first. Okay. My favorite part is... That's always the easier one, right? Yeah. Yeah. I really like the um, the scene between the Ember and uh, Jun uh, right. when he's torturing her, like I said earlier in the, uh, in the podcast. Um, I just think Wendy's... Uh, talent really shows in in that page uh, when she's able to sort of um, visually show their power dynamic just by the positioning of the characters. Right. And though it's only two characters speaking to each other, it's still a dynamic page because it moves you as a viewer around the page and around the characters in a dynamic way. Um, so in, in that respect, I just think it's a really... Um, it's a testament to Wendy's ability as an artist, and it's a, just a great um, series of panels for a comic book. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I, I'm really having trouble finding my least favorite moment. <laughs> I I just thought this issue was really great. Um, I I guess you know what? To be honest, I think I'm not really that keen on the idea of Winkin and Cavi being Tyr's parents. So just the suggestion of it in this issue was kind of, for me, a moment of uh, slight disappointment. Okay. Um, and I mean, I, I think we've discussed that briefly before I've touched on it, but the idea that um, a character has to be related to every key character in the series um, just seems a little bit far-fetched to me. Right, yeah, and we have talked about that before. Yeah. I can kind of see both sides of that coin personally, but... Um, but, uh, but, I mean, right. we'll leave it at that. We don't even know at this point if... Well, that's that what I was going to say, too. Yeah, it's so. like, we don't even know. So I will say that my least favorite part of this issue... Uh, was actually kind of easy for me because it's such an awesome issue and there's really only one little sort of niggling detail that stuck out to me in the entire issue. And, you know, as always with my my least favorite things, it's fairly insignificant, but there's something that looks off to me about Poole when you get that close-up of him just before he jumps up on the rock and throws an arrow into Rathal. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what it is. Okay. I mean, his face looks kind of mushed or... Um, his hair looks like a wig or I don't, I don't know, but it's clearly the, the yeah. same from panel to panel. Um, he he's just not on like, character model for you. Yeah. He just looks yeah. a little chunky or something. He's not quite right there. Yeah. So, I can see never, that. Nothing really it's significant. Very subtle, but there is something slightly off where it, it, it yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my favorite part of the issue is that three panel progression of Ember basically severing the tie with tear. And not because I want Tyr to suffer, but I just <laughs> just because I think, um, you know, again, it's it's that it's that um, sequential 
panel where like just the the, the 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 sequential part of it is so critical to telling the story you know the subtle changes in expression that happen just in the space of the two seconds that pass there mm-hmm. is just totally awesome yeah. um we, we talked about it already but that would be my favorite right okay so. i'm really looking forward to the next issue obviously at this point we have seen the preview pages the first five pages of the next yes. issue I mean, we could have talked about that, but technically the issue hasn't been released, so we're not going to. I say we wait, but let's yeah, just say we have to wait. it's a doozy, at least yeah. those first five pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's been a lot of discussion about it so far, even though yes. it just came out in the last few days. Right. Um, yeah. But I'm really looking forward to reading that and discussing it with you. Yes, ditto. Yeah. Um, so with that... Mm-hmm. We are finally caught up. We have, yes, caught up. We, we have no uh, back issues to get to. And so um, this will be um, episode eight and it will cover the final quest issue number four. Mm-hmm. And when, our, when we do our next one, we'll, it'll be like the current issue. So hopefully we can find the time to do another podcast like within a day or two of the issue coming out. Definitely. Um, and yeah, that's we'll, our try goal. To, we'll try and yeah. get it done as, we'll, as quickly as possible. Exactly. So you guys, um, you know, can listen you know, can kind of join the fun and follow along with us as we rattle on about all of this stuff in, in you know, sort of real time for when folks are getting the book and reading it and uh, not months and months after the fact. Exactly. And we also have some other plans uh, up our sleeves. Um, we've mentioned before doing some interviews. Hopefully we'll get around to doing some of those um, soon. And then I have a few or well, not a few, a couple of other ideas uh, for a different type of show that would involve the fans a bit more. But I'm not going to say too much more on that until I kind of get those plans uh, hashed out. Awesome. I, yeah. And just so everyone knows, I don't even know what he's talking about. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'll, I'm going to let you know first. To find out. <laughs> yeah. I just, I have to do some testing of things. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Actually, well, no, I, you know, I'm you game might be for able whatever to help you want to do. That. Yeah. You're, you're, I'm probably going to have to have you uh, be my test subject. Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a little scared. No, you should. No, I, I'm, you know, I'm totally game for whatever you want to do, um, you know, as far as pulling this out together on the technical side. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll be working behind the scenes on all of that. And um, you guys, updated. yeah, we'll keep you guys updated. And as always, let us know what you think. If you think we're totally off the mark, if we said something that just made you so, you know, you know, it was a huge revelation that you didn't think of, or if we said something that made you want to punch us, let us know. Um, super tier fan, and you want to like, yeah, give us a piece of your mind about what we said about tier. Right. By all means. Oh, and most importantly, don't forget about the Go Backs with Guns fan art challenge. Yeah. I want to see some Go Backs yeah, with Guns. Post them, and cute. we'll pick our favorite, and we'll give you a shout out on the next episode. Right on. Okay. All right. Thanks see you next time. Ever. The music that you heard at the top of the podcast was a track called Hunting for Experience by Epicus from their album An Epic Journey. You can find music by Epicus and thousands of other artists royalty-free for your podcast or multimedia projects on jamendo.com. That's J-A-M-E-N-D-O dot com. Well, that's it for this episode of the ElfQuest Show podcast. As always, you can join the discussion on the official forums on ElfQuest.com, on Twitter at, at ElfQuest, or on any of several Facebook pages, including the official ElfQuest Facebook page and the ElfQuest Facebook fan page. 
Don't forget, you can read the entire ElfQuest back catalog at ElfQuest.com, along with tons of other great stuff like character bios, behind-the-scenes features, and more. The final quest is published by Dark Horse Comics, and you can get the latest issue of ElfQuest the minute it comes out at digital.darkhorse.com. Until next time, shade and sweet water.